So if route setters provide good challenges, the right challenges, the right consistency in challenges, the right cruxes in challenges, the right types of holds, then people will get better at climbing. I think that's really the significance of this podcast or like this topic for me is that if route setting gets fixed as a whole and people know the difference, if route setters know the difference between good, bad, and great, and they make deliberate choices to have those things or to fix certain things, then climbers will get better, right? Hey, welcome to the Test Piece Podcast. This podcast is about all things high-level climbing. My name's Joshua Horsley. I've been climbing for 25 years, and I love staying at the cutting edge of climbing. Hi, my name is Timothy Kang. I'm a pro climber, a coach, and a route setter, and climbing is my life. We started the podcast to explore and articulate what it takes to climb at a high level, what it takes to go from good to great. Okay, let's start the podcast. Okay. Tim, my dude, how's it going, man? Josh, what's up? Always psyched. How you doing? Tim, I'm, I'm great. You're in a closet. That's why the audio is so much better. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for shoving yourself in the closet. Tim, uh, last thing we said is you were on your way to trying to flash sleepwalker. You did, did you, Tim, did you, did you flash sleepwalker? It was so funny actually, because, uh, we always make jokes about that type of stuff. Like no one's actually going to probably go and try to flash V16. Well, no, no one of my, you know, position in climbing would go and actually That's try loser to flash talk, V16, Tim. but I, <laughs> yeah. but I showed up, well, mostly just because I'm like smart and I already know the cruxes and stuff. I'm just going to, you know, try to solve them like better off to warm up on things. And like, sometimes also the first moves of hard climbs are like not actually good uh, warm up moves, but I actually showed up for that session and uh, Xander happened to be there and, and this guy Reed happened to be his friend. And uh, they were like, dude, oh, no, no, you got to give it a flash burn. I was like, oh, my God, it's actually like going to happen. <laughs> so I just pulled on from the start. And actually, the first two moves of Sleepwalker are pretty easy. But the rest, you know, the, the crux is immediately after that. So I just fell right there. And I was like, cool. Dude, was my you flash flashed burn, the first two, move of, <laughs> two moves of Sleepwalker? That's like V6. That's like a quarter of Sleepwalker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good job. So yeah. then did and you it's funny too, soft second I, go it at, at least or anything? No, sleepwalkers oh, hard. Uh, sorry, sorry, Josh. Sleepwalkers really hard. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, more like but, a, sorry, Xander, uh, because Xander just did it and then downgraded it and caused a little little kerfuffle there on on the interwebs. Not really. <laughs> no, I didn't no actually, one actually. Yeah. I don't know about that much of the beef, but he was telling me that um, there was some like Reddit thing that was going kind of, kind of crazy. Y'all people out there are nuts. <laughs> people get people get aggro on reddit i i don't really i'm not a big redditor uh but i did see on 8a yeah it's just it's always interesting when people skip a bunch of grades to do a hard climb yeah. and i remember when carlo sure. did jade and that was a big deal and you know it was like v15 at the time and when he did the game it was v16 at the time and those were like first of the grades for him so i i think that causes some you know some some stuff but uh good job to him uh yeah yeah what'd you think how'd your session go oh dude yeah okay sleepwalker is awesome super fun climb like um side note here like i kind of just avoid ah, i thought i talked about this uh on a different meet and greet that we had but like for some reason i avoid um more like mainstream problems and regardless of the grade or anything regardless of the style i almost won't like look at the style of the climb if it's like too trafficked um or like too recently trafficked and sleepwalker just got a lot of like you know, repeats right after it got put up. And that was like in the last couple of years. And I also probably wasn't actually that strong enough or like 
good enough to do Sleepwalker. I do say strong enough purposefully because Sleepwalker is extremely powerful. Like underclings on pretty good holds. If it's V16, is it's gonna be super, super, super hard. It's like good holds. Like some of the pretty good holds, dude. You like grab them, you're like, oh, not that bad. And you look at the feet and you're like, oh, dude, I couldn't like hold that position. That's like a just a huge deadlift right now and just moving off of that. <laughs> um but dude, it was so fun. Like I was so excited just to try it. I think like um, I'm just coming to a different place in my climbing, I think personally, where I'm like leveling up, you know, I was just explaining this to a, a homie that I have crashing at my place, you know, last night, just talking about like the belt status that I feel like in climbing. Cause he was like, dude, I really want to get to like V12, like, you know, 12. And like, that's just like a huge level upgrade for me. And I was like, it is a huge level upgrade, dude. Like I think V12 to V12 to 1314 is like brown belt territory in, cl- in climbing, you know, like whatever you would equate that to. And I told him it was an interesting thing. Sorry, this is a tangent, but I think this is an interesting point we were talking about. Um, and I was like, dude, V12 is one of those interesting grades that for some, most people who get to V12 can for sure do most of the V10s that they do. And that's significant because just because you climb a V7, there's like, I'll, I'll find you a V4 that I'll make you fall on. Like a lot of them. If you climb V9, I'll find you a V6 somewhere that I'm going to make you fall on, you know? But if you climb V12, actually, you're at the status of belt where you kind of can just do a lot more climbs. It just happens to be that way, you know? That's probably not 100% of the time true, of course, you know, because uh, yeah, of course there's a the thing in climbing I, that we always talk I'm about. really like, good could at have just falling up your way. V10s. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I can tell you, like stained glass, I've not done stained glass and I want to do stained glass. Anyways, anyways, go Right, ahead. but if you do a legit 12, right, it's super interesting to me. And I was like, yeah, for me, it was a really special grade because when I hit B12, 13 and 14 unlocked for me a lot faster than I thought it would because I was like, oh, well, interesting. Like I'm climbing B12. Like there's a reason I'm climbing this hard. And, you know, the amount of time and work I would put into 12s that I was doing, I was just learning so much about climbing and like how to actually send climbs. You know, there's so many tactical things from just trying and falling on V12. And then once you do it, you're like, whoa, kind of get it. And then you just get a little bit stronger. And then you're like, oh, wow. Now, like, if I worked on my internal to, to be able to climb V12, what does it take in my internal thinking, my, my mental states, my performance in order to climb V12? If my external increased, then my internal became useful for my external. If that, if that makes sense for anyone who gets it, maybe if you don't get it, then it's a little complex. Well, but <laughs> I, I, I mean, to be honest, I, I, I kind of know what you're I know what you're speaking right. of where it comes to that upper echelon grade and how it changes everything about climbing in the lower grades that doesn't quite occur when people maybe hit some peaks at V6 and then still really struggle with V4. And to be honest, there's there's an element of that in this podcast where it's how do you go from good to great? Like, like the, that's part of what we're talking about is there seems to be this breakthrough that happens for people where a lot of people climb for decades and they climb around V7 to V10. And don't get me wrong, that that's an amazing grade range that you can climb some of the coolest climbs in the world, but it's hard to break through that ceiling. And these are all kind of arbitrary. Like I'm not saying that no one who climbs V9 isn't great. You know, that's, that's not really the point. And every discipline has its own actual difficulty, but it's just this kind of acknowledgement that there does seem to be some kind of breakthrough. We even saw it talking about when we were talking with Andy Lamb last time, where it's kind of like he pushed through and then he was just kind of off to the races. Um, so no, it's interesting, Tim. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to go too far down the the grade and the and the yeah. belts because that's a whole nother. That's like eight podcasts, dude. We can yeah, do a podcast dude, time. totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't want to go too deep on it. 
although can I ask you about, so you were on Sleepwalker and part of that, I don't know, kerfluffle is that, that's a cool word. Kerfluffle of when Xander did it is he, he did it quickly. He's kind of extra tall and maybe the beta that he did was a little bit easier for him than say Daniel Woods, who did the FA and he's calling it V15. Jimmy did the the FA. Oh gosh. Well, Sorry. I mean, look, man, it's either Jimmy or Dan, just whatever Boulder, probably Jimmy <laughs> or Daniel, Dan, who cares? Like, <laughs> same guy. Um, Fair. <laughs> uh, so, so, but Daniel did the low start, returned to the sleepwalker and gave it V17. And uh, the sleepwalker is V16 or Xander called it V15, whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about in those grades anyways. But the, the point I was going to make is that Daniel, either either Xander made some comment on 8A on an, on an interview he did on 8A.new where they asked him about, hey, have you tried the lower start? He was like, it's hard. <laughs> like, I haven't done the moves. Uh, and I think Daniel said that the low start for him was something around V13 right into Sleepwalker with literally no rest or anything. And it's interesting because I, I think then Daniel Woods made this comment at some point. I, I'm not sure if this was in response to Xander or something else, but he said that the low moves are maybe a bit scrunchier, maybe suit someone who's a bit shorter, where clearly Xander found beta that was easier if he was taller and skipped. Uh, uh, I want to say skipped, did it a different way that was easier of uh, being taller. And I just want to point out that if Return of the Sleepwalker has these these kind of different sections that speak to different strengths and weaknesses that are diametrically opposed in the sense that if it's good for short people in the bottom and good for tall people in the top, then that full line is actually makes it really special. Like it's, and the reason why I bring that up is that uh, the topic, the topic of our day is all about good route setting. You know, what makes a problem good? What makes a problem bad? And you know, clearly you can't route set outdoors, but that's just kind of one of those cool things where, Maybe Sleepwalker will be easy for Xander, but Return the Sleepwalker will be equally as hard for him as it was for Daniel Woods. And I just think that's really cool. Yeah. So any comments to that or, or comments about your hunch on the grades? Damn, dude, this guy's a good podcaster. Um, that's, yeah, really good points. I mean, it's so interesting. I've been thinking about this so much lately and just having a lot of conversations about it. Um, and so bear with me. There's a lot of like different um, things to kind of tackle from. But uh, Sleepwalker, Um, Xander and I had a great session on it. Uh, Xander and I are good friends. Uh, You know, Xander gets a lot of flack for some reason about things um, because he's, I don't know, cool kid. Like he just like the way he posts, it's like too cool kid maybe and just like rubs people the wrong way. But he's an amazing guy and he's an amazing climber. You know, if you you sit there and climb with him, you're going to respect him. You know, like regardless of other things, like you're going to respect him, dude. Like watching him do Sleepwalker was so impressive. Like not, I didn't oh, watch him it. do it, but watching him like oh, okay. basically, no, cause he went like the very next, I, I wasn't going to go that day. And, but I was like, ah, I should go because I'm almost certain he's going to send it the next session. He had a session um, for four hours, I think like the previous night that I tried it. And that was his first session. Then the very next night we sessioned it together for like four hours. Very next night, he had two sessions in a row. And uh, his first session was pretty good. Probably the, one of the better first sessions that can go on Sleepwalker, uh, next to mine as well. Um, and we were both just having fun. And he was just, um, like, he knew he was probably strong enough to do it when he came. He just wanted to figure it out. And he had done all the moves and, on this first session. And when I showed up, he was already, like, spring and, like, knew these different things. And Sleepwalker's interesting. Like, kind of what you're talking about with the 
different gradient of where like the types of style feels more fair or like more suited in like different sections of rock climbs. And that happens to work like that climbing math just like spreads differently on different climbs. And Sleepwalker is one that, you know, definitely is a little bit leaned more if you're taller, right? Sleepwalker itself is definitely more if you're taller, if it's going to feel a little bit easier, if you can do X, Y, and Z beta. I think that stuff is new, by the way. I found what Xander's beta did, or I didn't find it necessarily, but I pushed him to do it. Um, And the sit is maybe easier for if you're shorter, but also the reason why the sit is hard is because it taxes you for the stand, right? The, The sit is V13, but Sleepwalker is still V16. So just doing sleepwalker after you've done a V13 is why the climb is V17. It's not necessarily the bottom moves or like really anything insane. It's still sleepwalker has basically it, the way I do it is a V12 into like a hard V13. So if you do V13 into a hard V12 into a hard V13, that that also changes like significantly. It's not the same thing as doing lucid and then doing like lucid dreaming into lucid dreaming. You know, that's very, very different type of hard boulder and the math works out really differently. So when you're like Nate Williams, who's someone who's really close to doing return and he's done sleepwalker like 15 times, you know, but for him, yeah, maybe the bottom is the hardest part, but sleepwalker is not the hardest part becomes a really different boulder than I think it was for Daniel. So the math becomes really complex, you know? So when you're like someone like Xander and you're coming in honestly and trying something like sleepwalker and you think it's easier for you and you share that grade, I think it's actually supposed to be extremely respected. I thought that I kind of read through some of the Reddit things and I was like, dude, these guys are actually really backwards with it. You know, downgrading, downgrading a a V16 when you're especially young and like coming into it, I think is really like, it's daunting. It's really scary. You know, we talked about it a lot. He didn't want to do that publicly. He didn't actually want, cause he's like, I don't care that much. You know, it's not that big of a deal, but it's also like not the truth. Right. And for, for us, it was about sharing what we thought the truthful grade was. And let's just face it. If you say, Hey, I did a V16 versus, Hey, I just did a V15. Like V16 is going to get a little bit more popularity or like credit. And, and I'm not saying that's what these people did, but we don't want to do that. We don't want to, if we don't feel like that, we don't really want to do that. And I'm saying we, because I also don't think this climbs V16. What? Like, oh, I did. I was just shocked by it. And I'll explain kind of my thought, my thought there, because uh, going back to exactly what you're saying, Sleepwalker has so many options. You know, when you have so many options for like how you can change the moves, inevitably you're going to run into different styles, right? Like the way that you do these different options on Sleepwalker are completely different ways to climb. Like they're, they're completely different holds. They're like different ways to turn and like different ways to use these holds. And so for, you're just going to find, if you go to the climb, you're going to find the best style for you. And if it happens to be a bit easier, it can be a lot easier. For example, Xander basically on the bottom of Sleepwalker, there's like three underclings from, from the star holds. There's like three underclings you can choose from, right? The further you go, the worse they are. But the further you go, the closer they are to the next holds. And the next holds are kind of the crux section. If you stay lower on those holds, they're they're very juggy. It, the people say it's like V6 for the first two moves, right? That's what you said. That's what people say. Like, sure, whatever. I'm not going to grade it necessarily, but the holds are pretty good. And you come into this jug and you're like, wow, I wish I could just do all the moves from here. And most people can't reach. And I'm 5'11 with a plus one. And I can't really, I can't, I can reach all the way to the sloper, but then you definitely can't reach to the crimp. But I, my face is like completely turned and I can, I can barely reach that position. And so doing a move to a, a position that you can barely reach is really, really hard. Xander has a 6'5 reach with, I think he's 5'11 or six foot and he's a 6'5 reach. And so I knew that right, right then he told me that and I was pulling on and I just started warming up 
And I was like, still kind of warming up, but I was pulling on the positions and I could do the top, like the whole top three or four moves as my warm up, which is super interesting to me. And he was, he was like, oh dude, holding the lower positions was like a really good warm up for me. Just like holding them static. And I was like, oh, interesting. So I pulled into the second two holds, like the two good underclings. I pulled on, just held this, the position. I was like, oh, nice. Like I'm chilling here. Looked up and I was like, wait a second. Anybody just go straight up here. The crux of sleepwalker is basically however way you do these underclings, you grab a bad, bad intermediate. The worst hole in the entire climb is this intermediate. And you do a really hard bump to the sloper from this like hard left hand undercling. And I was like, wait, could you just skip these intermediates? Like if you're going from two good holds, you have two good feet. Can you just generate huge? And I tried on that attempt where I was just holding static and I almost like froze at the top of the position, but I was like just underneath the hold. I was like, wow, if you just had two inches longer of fingers, you could for sure do that. And I was like, Xander, have you tried that? He's like, he's like, oh, I think I've tried it, but like, didn't really like put that much, you know, try harder credit into it. You don't do that when, you know, six V16 climbers have climbed a V16. You don't really try to do new beta, but you should, you know, especially if you're like Xander. Uh, strong like Xander, maybe a little bit taller. Like you should definitely look for that beta. And the very next try, he was like, "Oh, dude, I'm gonna try that." He's based on what you just looked like. He's like, "I'm for sure gonna try that" because he knew he was taller than me, uh, or like longer reached than me. And he he almost did it within his first try. And then the next three tries, he kind of like slipped. He stuck it the fourth, fourth or fifth try, and he pretty much didn't fall on the move ever again. And it looked so easy for him. And he's like, "Wow." He almost immediately, almost, he was like, that just downgrades Sleepwalker, like entirely. It was just one move. It's just doing the crux a completely different way. He's like, that move is not even that hard. And so, for example, like the way I have to do the first three movements for me feels like V12. The way that Xander has to do those first two moves is like V6. And then he skips the crux, you know, and maybe for him, it feels like a V10 kilter board move. And then you do the rest of Sleepwalker, which is like V11. So break that down and tell me that it's V16, right? Like, it, it just for a personal thing for him, like what it felt like. And like, that's just the grade that happened to be. <laughs> we were just like, I'm watching it. I'm like, dude, I don't know if I would take V16 if I felt like what you looked like, you know? Yeah. The the thing that really stood out to me when you're uh, you know, breaking that down and maybe we'll get Xander on at some point to, to share his experience on, because that is an like, iconic oh, yeah. climb. That was really cool. Is what you said where six V16 climbers have done this beta before and so you kind of just trust that they've sussed out the best beta. And I don't know if any of them have a six, five reach and they probably don't, but that's really, it's just really interesting. It's something you've commented to me about where even the best climbers in the world are sometimes so strong that they will do things in a certain way that is maybe not optimal. Uh, and you know, they may not, it's not so much that it's not optimal. It's like when you're when you're working on an FA of a climb, it's no one knows what the best way is, right? And often, once you find a way that works, you just kind of go all in. You say, okay, this works. I can do the move. Yes, it's hard as F. It's V16 hard, but it goes. So, you know, it's it's like how long do you spend trying to refine and do extra little beta when you know that you can do it with that beta? And that's why climbs often get downgraded and rarely get upgraded because yeah, at some point, you just have to dig in and say, it goes like this. I'm going for it. And then you made the comment and then weaker people come along. Not, not that Xander is weak, but he's probably, I mean, he's, he's not Jimmy. Uh, and you know, he had to find his own way. I'm almost certainly weaker than Jimmy. And yeah, if I show up and I'm like, I'm not going to try it Jimmy's way immediately, be oh, may I try, I might try it immediately. And I'm going to be like, dude, that's not necessarily the way that I'm probably going to do it. Especially if you're like, 
well, there's those three feet that he didn't try or like not trying. There's these intermediates that he's not necessarily trying. You know, it's like there's this way to turn your hip that maybe I don't watch him try or whatever. And so that you're, what you're, the point you're making is so important to think about for climbing because it's like, dude, yeah. Well, the first times I went to Trieste, it was like not that far after Paul Robinson put up the FA of Trieste, which is a V14 here. Like the holds that we were, he was grabbing, Sam McQueen and I pulled up and we're like, why would you grab these holds? There's a better one right here. Well, There's a better one right here. Paul why would you do this drop anything. knee? A, Paul, Paul is just, right? just literally locked down any tiny little itty bitty crimp that he, it doesn't even matter to him. It's and, like, and Nolly, mean, who cares? And Nolly, Nolly's beta when he did Trieste was like so much crazier. Like I was like, dude, he's doing this like the hardest way. And it's insane because we can't do it that way. But it's like, well. We still think it's V14 and we're going to do it this other way, which is far easier to us. So it just, as time goes on, people are going to solve, people are going to find new things. And of course the, the climb may, may get easier, but that's how well, I feel about sleepwalking. Well, I don't want to sure. dig in any more on, on grades or anything. I, I, I thought we should uh, point out that since we, since we interviewed Katie, Katie Lamb, box therapy got sent by Brooke and she downgraded it or, you know, suggested a downgrade. And something I think is interesting with all these things, whether it's Xander on Sleepwalker or Katie and her experience so far with Box and, and Brooks, is you still have to really understand the mental space that Xander or, or Katie had to be in when they do these climbs. Like it's all nice and good to do it. And then people say, like, oh, see, it's easier. But in that moment, you still have to climb a V16 in your head because that's what everyone is saying. And I, I just think it's, it's important to note the difference behind what it feels like to do something before it gets downgraded. And then what happens when it does get downgraded, you still have to make that leap and say, I'm the kind of person who can climb this grade. And people might push back on that and say, yeah, but it's actually not that great. And it's like, dude, I can't tell you how many people, if you put, they, they have some project that's V7 and that they could do it. They could definitely do it. It's going to be hard for them, but they could do it. And then if we slapped a V9 grade on it, they would never do it. They would just instantly, they would maybe not even try it or Dude. they would just get shut down by it because they think it's outside. They wouldn't commit to the moves. Now there's some special people who actually might even do better on it because they go, wow, I'm going to try as hard as I can. This is a, an amazing challenge. Who knows if I'm capable of it, but I'm going to put everything I have into this moment. And so I just, I want to put out that distinction that, when people do something and it gets downgraded later, you still have to respect the mental approach that they had to employ when it be, when they sent. It's important. Dude, dude, I applaud you for, for just pointing that out. Cause I had like feelings about that, but maybe it would never have like really come out. It's such an important thing, dude. Like I think for personally, this Reddit stuff just like pisses me off because it's like, what are you guys even talking about? Like no, no one... Do you, any of you guys even know what the difference is between V15 and 16? Like, cause I don't, I'm like, going, don't. I'm going out to try and figure it out. And if I happen to think that one is easier or harder than the other, I just like happens to be uh, a realization. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Like, why did these people say like X, Y, and Z? It's not so like, it is funny that you're saying, you know, what you're saying is totally true where these people are almost discrediting these, these things, you know, where it's like, oh, oh man, Daniel Root Woods is having a rough day, like whatever. And it's like, no, he's not. He doesn't care, dude. He just tried, he put it up. He thought it was super hard and he just said it what it was. And he doesn't care if it's V16 or V15. He's just telling you guys or us or whatever to the world, what his suggestion for a grade is. And it's cool when it's like, oh, cool. Like you guys found a better way to do it or whatever. Or like, you know, maybe, maybe I wasn't feeling like as strong as I thought I was that day. Like, cool, whatever. Like it just sucks that like we happen to have 
such a scorecard metric when it comes to this type of climbing, you know, like, uh, and I'm trying to so hard in my life to avoid it. I'm like, I'm just going to try these things when I'm strong enough to try these things. And like, I'll just have fun, you know, like, just like I did on every other grade of climbing. But for some reason at the upper echelon of grades that people are always talking about, it becomes like your, your career. And like, you know, you just, it's like, no, you just, everyone's still climbing super, super hard stuff for them. And like, I like what you're saying about like, yeah, if someone walks up to a VA and it got upgraded and that person just may never even pull on again. Well, like those are probably the people who are like kind of shit talking this stuff. So like, you know, it's, it's cool to, to be that person where you rise to that occasion. It's like, Oh, it's V nine. Okay, cool. Let's, let's, let's go and do that. Cause that's what these people are doing. And that's really, really impressive. And, and like I said about the down, like downgrading thing is not a disrespect thing. Downgrading is a, this is hard to downgrade. You know, it's hard to like bring up this discussion because for me, it just felt, I have no idea, you know, but it felt easier, you know, like, but at least we should bring it up. Yeah. I don't know about the, I I think that there's definitely some people love downgrading to kind of Fair. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want to get into it. That's that's a whole other topic. Um, yeah, I, I just sticky. <laughs> just anyone who's talking shit about any climber in any send just doesn't. Mm. Oftentimes, they really haven't been climbing that long, or they're salty for some other reason. Because I can get on something like a a V three like pork chop. Okay, if I climb pork chop, it's a V three. It's it's not very tough for me. And when I climb pork chop, I recognize the diciness of those slopey mm. feet. Pork chop is this amazing arete in Las Vegas that's kind of tall, kind of techy. Your mom flashed it. Uh so so if you don't flash out there, that's like yeah, well, my mom flashed Impressive that. Flash. So there's a shit talking right there. Tim's just like, well, my mom fucking flashed that. You suck. Anyways, uh so you look at something like pork chop, and I can just kind of walk up pork chop, right? I mean, I, I damn well better be able to walk up a, a V3 right now. And when I do it, I recognize, wow, these feet are a little dicey. Wow. It's a little up there. Wow. You kind of have to commit to that side pull near the top and really just be strong in your feet and mentally tough. And so what I'm, what I'm saying is, is that when I see someone do pork chop, even though it may not be that hard for me to put those skills into practice and just kind of make it happen. I just have respect for that. I just understand what that process is like. So do not be out there talking shit about people, whether they're doing V2, V6, or V16, if you don't really understand what that experience is like. And so I don't know. I, I just, the, the only people who talk Wait, shit are, are, no. go ahead. Go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a good point. But the point you're making about like, you being kind of like at a technical skill level so much higher than something like pork chop and like, for you, of course, like the things your technical ability, because the things that you recognize that make pork chop v3 are like, maybe a bit harder for like someone who doesn't have that technical ability, because your technical ability on trusting small feet at height, maybe you're like so much higher, but you just recognize that it can just dilute all a lot of difficulty the movement and that's just the reality of climbing that way like yeah brown belt or black belt climbs something that's much easier like it might feel way easier for them you know but that's just the case and we should recognize what it might feel if you're climbing that great that's why we grade those things you know the grade that they do oh that brings up such an interesting point about like the guidebook stuff like uh the bishop guidebook got updated not that long ago and so many things or like a couple things got downgraded controversially and uh that's, that's like Charlie, i think that's, that's, that's the Charlie. case of what happens Dude, Charlie Barrett just like is a guy who's, you know, at like brown belt climbing. Like he's super, super good at climbing, especially on that Bishop style. And it's like, for me, it just seemed like unright. Sorry. It's just like an interesting topic here too. Like 
just unright for like if you went around Josh and you romped around every like V6 and under in an area, you could probably downgrade and justifiably downgrade to yourself all those things. But why would you do that? Because you're not understanding like how hard these things could be for a climber who climbs that great, right? Like that's the point is like, you're, you're going to climb it at that. Grade. It's, it's, if it's, if you're starting from zero, what grade would that climb be? That's what we yeah. should look at. Not from, if you're starting from a hundred and like, what grade would this be? That's not, that's not necessarily right. Yeah. And so if that, yeah. uh, it sounds ridiculous and it's even more ridiculous for someone who's been climbing for two years and is on Reddit, you know, giving people shit about the nuances of V15 and V16 and not understanding yeah. what it really takes to be out there. And it, you know, the, the only people who talk shit in climbing seem to be just salty people who are kind of miserable. You know, they're like these, there's like a, a whole class of miserable dirt bags that just kind of, it seems like they love climbing, but they, what they really do is they kind of just live climbing, but then just talk a lot of shit about it the whole time at the, at the same time. Then the other people who I see talk shit, and this is just hilarious. This is, I understand this one more is I swear to God, Tim, every top level pro climber kind of talks shit about every other top level pro climber. And I, I kind of get that. <laughs> like they're all like friends. I kind of get that though, because you know, we're, you're just saying, Oh, you know, go out and climb for fun and don't worry so much about the grade. But you got to acknowledge that when you're at the top of the food chain, there's only, there's only a number, there's only one position at the top and there's money involved. Yeah. So I kind of get that more. I actually think that's, more understandable than someone who's just bitching and moaning in the, in the middle of the chain. So totally, uh, I, I don't know. You can say something more than that, but I'd love to, uh, segue from the bitching and moaning. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was, actually, yeah. <laughs> actually, I have one more thing to say on, on sleepwalker. Cause uh, I kind of want to justify, like I kind of brushed over this, that I also kind of agree with Xander on the downgrade, but I'm not able to do Xander beta. So it's kind of interesting where I'm like actually doing the original sleepwalker beta. And I still think it's like downgraded. And I just want to like, kind of speak on that a little bit, but I'm also going to make a YouTube video on like my experience with sleepwalker a bit, just to like break down a couple more of these things. Cause they're not really, you know, other sleepwalker videos are like all climbing porn still. And I want to make a little bit more like theory-based video um but my feeling on that is is just crazy and like because we're speaking about grades we're on, on a podcast that we're kind of saying that we don't want to speak about grades for <laughs> we've already done it for so long but of course we always do this um but here's the thing that i wanted to say uh, about it and this is just kind of an interesting thing i've been thinking about lately and i'm not sure if this is like exactly how i feel about it the first time i like went to try my v first v10 the first time i went to try my first like v11 v12 v13 or v14 all of them all of my experiences early on were very, very difficult for me. Like it took a lot of work, took a lot of thinking, took a lot of trying, took a lot of like insecurity and like almost uncertainty is a word that I used like regularly when it came to like trying to send grades that were like, you know, hard for me. And I guess like, I kind of know where I'm at in climbing physically and technically a lot of the time, you know, doing it for 11 years straight with a lot of intention every day. Like you, you do kind of know where you're at. And Josh knows what I'm talking about. You, you know, like what shape you're in most of the time. Like, and I guess just knowing the shape that I'm in approaching sleepwalker, it was shocking to me that like, and this again, like I, I understand that this could come from a place where it's like, maybe I am stronger right now. Maybe I am like better than I think right now in some ways, but probably not. Cause I'm trying other things as well. And, uh, like, yeah, I feel like a, a great climber in good shape, but like trying sleepwalker, I, I really expected like V15 and V16 to just like slap me in the face, you know, and just like 
I guess like my certainty of sending this thing, even though I'm not doing it in my first two sessions, like I, and I may not do it for the next couple of sessions too. And I'm totally okay with that. You know, I'm, I'm going to put the battle into it. It's just a certainty aspect for me was like shocking where I was like, wow, like it's like <laughs> a boulder that I'm going to do. Like you're just opening yourself up to Reddit I know, it sucks. where you're like, <laughs> I, I haven't done it. And this is the grade uh, I think it's going to be. But it, I also got to point out what Andy was saying where, sorry, man, V15 is just recreational climbing anyway. So V16 is what the pros do. So yeah, you, you got, yeah, you it's so it up, funny. But, uh, okay. I, it's I got, a discussion we got, that a lot of. Yeah, we, we got to move on, Tim. We just, we will go on forever about grades and, and sleepwalker. I know you're, you're deep in Fair. it right now. So it's, I know. it's I'm so, no, but it's on. like, it's just what you're saying though, is like, it kind of bothers me. You know, it's like, you're right, dude. Like Reddit, it's like, I'm leaving myself open to just Reddit, like swarming my wounds, but it's like every pro climber really thinks about this stuff. You know, like every pro climber wants to have like validity in their climbing and like validity in their hard work and sending. It's like, you want to feel like, Sorry, like personally, I just want to feel slapped in the face when I try something that's like really, really hard challenge, you know? And of course, if I go and try like Burden of Dreams or like Alphane or like, I don't know, other V16s in the world, like if I try Lucid Dreaming, dude, I'm going to get slapped in the face. Like, I think that's poorly graded. I think that's the V16 and like other things are maybe V15. That's my point. I, I, if I, I go and try Lucid, dude, I like won't, I just won't be able to do that move for a long time. I have to train really hard for it, you know? Sleepwalker, I like didn't even train for it. I, I've tried lucid, went back to it after training, tried it, went back to it after training, and I still like don't progress. Try sleepwalking hate... for the first time. I'm like, <laughs> don't, crazy. don't you hate when you go to a climb? It's fucking hard. And then you come back years later, and you're like, I am so much stronger right now. <laughs> and you get on, you think, what what happened here? Why is this still so hard? Yeah, I'm excited to, yeah, we'll see. That's if what you, V15 I'll... means. I'm worried that you're not going to be able to get out to lucid dreaming as much because you're going to get sucked into that amazing climbing in nah. Roblox. But well, on on we'll this see. note of the internet misunderstanding things, uh, I I posted a Instagram reel called "Cheating Indoors," and this was a pro tip that I did a few episodes ago. And yeah, I, I just I got a lot of a lot of flack for it. I think a lot, maybe some love too. There was a lot of likes, but when people like something, they rarely. They don't write that they like it. They click this little heart button. But when people don't like it, they write a comment saying, you're an idiot, uh, which is not exactly what people wrote. But <laughs> so just to to rehash or to give you some context to, for people who may not have listened to that episode, I made a comment about how you should quote unquote cheat indoors. And first off, I want to point out this was a little tongue in cheek. cheek. I'm not saying you should cheat indoors like you need to turn the hold to make it easier and then turn it back or whatever you could do, you know, use a freaking ladder. Uh, I, I don't actually mean cheat. I mean that what you should do is use whatever is available to you to best do the climb. So uh, I made the example of smearing in a bolt hole. So if there's no foot, you can sometimes, especially on a kick panel, like if there's a vertical kick panel at the bottom of a climb, instead of just smearing on the wall, you put your toe into the bolt hole. It just gives you the tiniest little edge to step on actually makes a surprisingly big difference to be honest. And the idea behind this was that if you use everything available to you, then it helps you solve the climb or do the climb in a way that's optimal or the, the most optimal it can be. And then when you go outdoors, you take that same mentality where there are no rules and there are no tape on things and whatever you discover, say a, the tiniest little pebble that allows you to turn that smear into more of a, a good push foot or a little crystal right in the back of a crimp that if you get your pinky on, it really changes the whole thing or a thumb catch that no one else uses. 
just taking that mentality of finding every microbea that is available to you and and using it. And so indoors, the example I, again was maybe yeah, you step in a a bolt hole of or a bolt hole on a on a on a handhold with your foot that maybe is dual text, or you pinch it using your thumb in the bolt hole. Anyways, I just went off and just described it again. But the whole point behind that is what I said. You're, you're quote unquote cheating, but really you're just developing the vision and mindset to use everything available to you to have success outdoors. And so some of the comments were, uh, I also ignore the colors of the holds and use any means necessary to get <laughs> to the top, just like outside, which I actually thought that was really funny. So I'm not, that wasn't a mean one. Yeah. I, I wanted to start off with something like a joke. Yeah. I, I thought that was actually hilarious and uh, good, good on you. Uh, you know, what's funny is that it used to be that all holds were different colored and you just had to follow the tape. So you used the tape, to actually yeah, just, so you did have yeah. to look. <laughs> okay. Uh, how about this one? Inside is for training. When you cheat your training, you only cheat your results. And I'm, I'm going to read the next one too, because it's basically the same thing. I agree that you do it outside, but try not to do it. Be, uh, they didn't write this, but try not to do it inside because it won't be there outside unless you only climb indoors. I climb indoors to train for outside. So I purposely do it the intended way, even if it's harder because you will learn technique at least more than you would from cheating your way around everything. I don't think it's cheating. It's just not an effective way to train and learn. Yeah. Um, that guy should have a podcast. <laughs> I, I ran out of breath reading <laughs> that one. Uh, so so I, I'm, I'm just going to be charitable. I, I don't think that people are actually giving me crap or trolling or you know complaining. I think it's just this misunderstanding of I'm actually saying totally. that indoors is training for outdoors. That's literally the whole point. It, you know, that, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. And if, <laughs> if you don't see that in there, I, I'm, I'm struggling on how I could explain it better, but it's not cheating. And if, and I had a route setter also uh, comment and say, you know, you're, you're thinking about this wrong. Like, you know, you, you shouldn't, allow cheating. And my response, and this will tie into our topic of the day is that's just bad route setting. Then it's just flat out bad route saying, if you can do something that the route setter didn't intend to make the problem much easier, that's not cheating. That's just bad route setting because if the route setter didn't understand or consider all the possibilities, then, you know, it's like, Tim, did you cheat on sleepwalker with that beta? <laughs> like, was that cheating because you use different holds than other people? Is it cheating if you use, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, if you use a foot chip for a hand as a bump hold? Like, what, like, what do we mean cheating? And so, when people right. say inside is for training, when you cheat your training, you only cheat your results. You really, I mean, I, I would recommend you go listen to that North Star podcast because you're misunderstanding what training really is. You're, you should be if the training you're talking about is going on a hangboard is doing a bunch of pull-ups. When we're talking about climbing and getting better at climbing, this is not cheating. Th this is training. This is understanding how to climb and using what's available to you to get up the problem. So if you arbitrarily make it harder for yourself, fine. I get it. We will play games on the spray wall. No heel hooking, no drop knee, no matching, right? That, I, I understand. Yeah, that. we've like, done we, that too. We can make those constraints, but you know, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying cheating indoors and how it's not for training outdoors. I don't know why this really just got me, uh, but so, okay. Sorry. Totally rant. Dang. There, there it is, Tim. Uh, I any, love anything this. to add. <laughs> Oof, dude, Josh is such a sweetheart. He's such a, 
a big bear hug you. He's such a nice, sweetheart, sensitive guy. Uh, you talk, you talk about something that he he didn't explain or you guys don't understand. Oh, he'll he'll fuck you up. Uh, <laughs> I just like this, like back and forth. And Josh is so good. At, oh, dude, everything you just said makes so much sense to me. It was just funny too because when you brought this up, where you were like, oh, I got like controversy on when I when I was talking about cheating indoors. I was like really i was like really what was the contract like so interesting because i'm not like you know josh josh runs the the media thing so he sees the comments and stuff and he just tells me and i and i read this stuff and i was like wow like interesting so I, yeah i also don't think it's necessarily like you know just trolling or anything it's just like misunderstanding for sure but it's it's funny because it's exactly what you are saying like i 100 agreed with you when you said that on the podcast but i also understood what you were saying and this is like why we podcast we podcast for the test piece podcast because we know that there are huge misconceptions on how you progress in climbing, but we actually climb pretty hard. Like as a difference is that we actually do climb pretty hard. And so like, we're just sharing some, Josh is a really good rock climber guys. Like I don't even rock climb as much as Josh, not even remotely close to as much Josh did in his entire career, yeah, especially not, not at lately, like what though, point, Tim. not lately, <laughs> well, not lately, but like when you were 11 years deep, I know you were just going outside like every week, you know, and just going at it and trying and doing hard climbs. And so like when, yeah, when Josh is talking about language reading for like climbing, right, which is what climbing is, if you want to progress at climbing, you have to understand how to read climbing. And like the theory behind climbing is really important aspect of if you're going to tell yourself what to do in climbing, like direct yourself on the wall, you got to know what you're directing yourself on. These are really good tips. But a couple of things that were kind of interesting, the indoors versus outdoors thing. I think that's BS, man. Like this stuff pisses me off since I was a start. Since I started climbing, I climbed indoors because it was the closest thing to me. I climbed outdoors because it was cool and inspiring and classic and stuff. But for me, climbing was climbing movements, movement, you know, like trying is trying and like solving is solving indoors or outdoors. It doesn't matter to me. Oh, dude, I'm getting so heated. Like, you know, it's fine if you really value outdoors for some reason, like way more than indoors. And it's fine if you really value indoors over outdoors. It is fine, you know, but for me, I'm a, I choose to be a student of climbing and a student of movement. I don't care where I'm doing it or like what I'm doing it on. Therefore, I have not struggled if I go outside or if I go inside. So if I want to succeed on something, I just don't struggle because I have a challenge for myself. It's more, it's more open to like climbing. You know, I just recognize what climbing is and movement is. And like, if I fall, I just fall. If I fail, I fail. Right. But if I try, I try. It doesn't matter like what style it's on or like what holds it's on or where it is. Right. And people have this notion that like, yeah, indoors is training for outdoors. It's great because if you feel like your accomplishments are more valid outside, then that makes sense, you know, but like, it doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't be trying indoors the same as you try outdoors. That's the thing that I kind of have like a weird understanding with. It's like, oh, well, it's just indoors. It does all your sends are arbitrary. And like all these, dude, all the outdoor things are arbitrary too. You just want to, you just feel more accomplished doing it. Right. That's just how I feel about it. So when it comes to indoor stuff, like I just treat it the same exact level of intensity and like intention as I do outside. Therefore, if I want to get up a climb, I'm going to do it whatever way I can. I like what you're saying about like, that's just bad route setting. You know, if, if it's not necessarily to say that, like what, what I think of good route setting, you know, and sorry, is, yeah, this definitely will like tie into our podcast today. But when I think about good route setting in this context, where like things, if things are cheatable, sometimes I'll set things and I'm not necessarily the best route setter in the world. I would not, I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination, but when I do set something and I'm proud of it, I do look at all the options and I look at all the possible things that look like you could probably do up the wall. And I have an intention for the movement that I see up the wall that has the least resistance, right? And if, as long as these cheats for specific sizes of people and specific strengths of people don't feel like 
you know, lower resistance than my way in my thinking, I think I've done a good job, right? And so you just should recognize the, the, the path of least resistance up a wall when you're setting. And if there are other attributes of the climb, like bolt holes, like footholds that you can grab and whatnot, it's just good. Like every route setter who ever picks up a drill and like accidentally puts like a foot that's way too good halfway up the route and they're like, oh man, you can just grip that thing. Like what? It's so much easier to, you know, everybody learns that. And so that's like one, that's like level one version of like, okay, interesting. You can break beta. You can like breaking beta, like, oh, breaking beta, like is, is good, dude. It's good to find as a climber. It's good to notice the two different paths, you know, as a climber, you should maybe say, oh, I broke that beta. Like, do you even know what that means? Do you even know how you broke the beta? Like, because broken beta entails that you're doing it off the original path. So as long as you know the original path, and you're deliberately making a decision to break it, I think that's okay. You know, like I understand like if you're literally always just, you know, never thinking about the climb, you pull on, you're like, ah, I'm just going to go up the best way. And yeah, maybe you'll sometimes break beta. Sometimes you won't. And that's maybe not that effective for your training, but Hey, let's just face it. Like breaking beta and you know, the difference It's a really good attribute of strong climbers and all strong climbers have that ability just period. You know, it's not even a discussion. That's why I thought it was yeah. like frustrating for me to hear you say I that. I understand why it can be irritating to to people when they see someone come along and, and do something that was easier than they did. And they thought, oh, like you're cheating, but you know, get away from that mentality. And I also, I just want to plus one to this indoor versus outdoor distinction. And it's all, and I agree, it's, it's all climbing. And that doesn't mean that you can't say, hey, you know what? For me, it's all about the moonboard, the outdoor climb, the comps. I don't care that that's, that's up to you, but just recognize when oftentimes how people decide to define themselves is in the style that they do the best at. So you'll, you'll meet someone that is weak in the gym. This is the most classic one I see. They're weak in the gym. They're physically not that strong. They can crimp the bejesus out of holds. They go outside and they climb well on little tiny crimps. And then they go, Wow, this this is real climbing. And they just anytime you're in the gym with them and they fail on something, they go, Oh, well, I, I don't care. Like this is stupid. You know, this is just slopey. This would never be outside. And now again, you can decide that y- it's up to you to decide how you define what your goals are. But just be careful that your shit talking isn't coming from a place of inability rather than because it wouldn't be shit talking. It would be a place of love, like, oh. Like that was so cool how you did that slopier ret. Uh, you know, can you help me learn? Still deep in the back of your head, you might think this is just practice for me. I'm not really into it, but I'm here to have fun and I'm really happy for my friend who did do the thing that maybe he loves. But if you're coming at it from this negative standpoint, that's on you, dude. That's that's on you. Um so okay, yeah. no more oh, that's <laughs> a good point. Uh okay. Yeah, I like more... what you're saying though about the <laughs> yeah goals yeah. like it just depends on your goals i do want to actually echo that a little bit and just say that like you know for me actually it's even before that not necessarily like it just depends on your goals for climbing it actually depends on what's fun i think for me like all i look at is like what's actually just fun in climbing and for you if it's fun to not cheat things ever and like just look for only intended beta and whatnot then it's fun that way and if it's not then like whatever you know like if it's fun to break beta it's fun like whatever's fun for climbing right it's not necessarily even you don't even have to have like progressive goals all of the time in climbing i don't you know, it's why I get better at climbing because that can just be super toxic for yourself. But, you know, I do have that sometimes to provide some guidance, but for the most part, I just do whatever is fun. Just whatever is fun. Go guys, well, go do whatever's fun guys. Yeah. What, what I would say of those people who 
you know, say they don't want to cheat themselves and it's just training is I would say, okay, cool. So do the, do the way I'm suggest, like find the cheat. Like if you really think you are so capable and you can find the quote unquote cheat, do it that way and then do it your way. Do it both ways, you know, have fun. Exactly. Like just, just enjoy it. So, all right. Damn. Got a little, got a little riled up there. Okay. Tim, ooh, uh, ooh. got a little sweat going next, <laughs> next, uh, <laughs> next section. Dan, let's just talk about, let's just talk about our boy, uh, Andy lamb for, for a moment. Really loved having him on. I thought it was such a trip getting to have Andy on right after Katie. We had talked about having Andy on for a long time, but then Katie, you know, made headlines and then I'm texting Andy, you know, do you have any questions for, for Katie? And we're like, dude, let's get Andy on. Like what a trip that they're, God, they're, they're quite a pair. Both went to Stanford, both absolutely brilliant, kind, hilarious people, both climb the hardest blocks in the world. So, uh, good job to them. Uh, really proud of that lamb family. I really want to copy that lamb family for, for my little kids. But I just wanted to point out that it, actually I want to point out it's hilarious that he got banned from a day because I guarantee you, Andy has never <laughs> been banned from anything else in his life. Uh, and when I was editing the podcast, I realized I'm an idiot and we didn't point out that his name on a day that, you know, the logging website is Peter Sot because, and it's a joke because in the sidebar, Passat. yeah, it's Passat, right? And of course, Andy gets to ride that sidebar all the time because he sends so hard. If you if you don't know what riding the sidebar means, I don't know. You should, you're you're probably it's like a scorecard, like right? 10. Like a leaderboard. Well, yeah, it's like on the it's like what what's happening in climbing right right now. So if you climb hard, then you're kind of on that leaderboard, and it's like oh, Passat because it's the first layer of the first name. Passat just did eight C. Who? Who is that? Who is that young guy? Uh, M. Yeah, so, we'll, I did not know that. <laughs> you didn't. Know, okay. How did I not explain? I didn't that? realize that's, that. That's such an so idiot. funny. Okay. Well, that's Andy's. That's the kind of Andy. That's the kind of guy Andy is. Is that he thinks that that's a hilarious joke? Um, and yes, because he's just a, a versus some other people's maybe more more vulgar uh, jokes of names in the, the sidebar. Anyways, the, the thing that really stood out to me for any, this just could be, this could just be the title of the whole freaking episode is the, the quote that he, I don't know if it was his pro tip, but just the quote he took and used for climbing. And it was most people overestimate what you can do in one year and underestimate what you can do in 10 years. And that's actually Bill Gates. So I, you know, take what you want out of that, but damn, does it apply to climbing? And I just was so psyched to see Andy bring that up. And I just want loud flashing lights. Uh, and this is why there were those jokes in the podcast around <laughs> some kind of training plan for 999 that, you know, all of a sudden you can climb V16. And it's just like, that is a theme for us in here is you can, you can do it. It'll probably take you 10 years or it'll take you a long, I shouldn't say it. it'll take you a long time and it will be a lot of hard work, but whoever's listening, you can do it. And if you are on Instagram and you're getting these little bite-sized dopamine Twitter feeds or, you know, one minute videos that are telling you that, oh, oh dude, if you just do your hangboard with only your back three, instead of your front three, you're going to get two grades in, in 90 days. And it's just, I mean, there's always something to that stuff. There's always something. There's some kernel of truth there. All that training stuff that you see, there's something cool about it. And I'm not saying to ignore all of that, but just that overarching theme that I feel like 
isn't talked about enough, and Andy made that point, is people overestimate what you can do in the short term and underestimate what you can do in the long term. And both Andy and Katie are great examples of that. Man, that quote um, it's cool. That's a Bill Gates quote. And it's cool that like Andy brought that up on the podcast and it just like gave me shivers, like just gave me goosebumps when he said that. Cause I was like, wow, it's so important. Like it's so true and just like so cool. And uh, yeah, climbing is the biggest troll sport, like from the very first couple days and the next couple days and the next year, you just get like reeled in, you get reeled in. Cause you're like, I'm oh, getting better. Like I'm ah, getting better, you know, getting better so fast. And then you, and then you like hit a plateau or a curve or something. And then you just kind of get smacked in the face and you get smacked in the face and you get smacked in the face and you get smacked in the face. And it's like, oh my God, dude, I suck. Like I suck, you know? And almost the quicker you realize that where you're like, ah, I suck. Like, okay, how do I get better? Versus like, oh, I suck. Like this, this sport's too hard for me. Like, okay, I suck. How do I get better? You know, as soon as you do that and then you invest and then you quietly invest for like a long time and you do that for like years and years and years and years, oh, it works so good. And, and man, like when I was a kid, because I met Andy when I was like third, second or third year into climbing because I was climbing at Planet Grant at Sunnyvale and he just he just got enrolled to Stanford for like the next many years. And I was like, oh, dude, this guy is going to be like the new sensei at our gym. Like, holy, like we have so many senseis here. Like Josh was a sensei for me, like at the gym, <laughs> you know, like there's so many Joshes for me that I was like, wow, these guys are so good at climbing. And I was like, so rushed, you know, like for me, I did so much crazy, like work and workouts and like all the training things, because I thought the secrets were going to come like really quickly. And it's like, I'm glad I did those things because after a lot of work, it, it did kind of compile to like a really good outcome for me as a climber, but it would have been nicer for me to kind of remove that. And that's, I guess why we share that perspective, you know, because it's like, like, I wish I, I wish somebody told me that just like, well, dude, you're doing the right thing. Just like, keep your head down keep doing it. And it'll amount to whatever you want in the end. And I guess like, I just want to double you know, what Josh was saying, like, you can do it. Anybody, if, if whatever you think you want to yeah. be in climbing, you can do it. It's not even, I, that's why I coach. I don't coach because I enjoy just like helping people, which I do. It's fun. I coach because I believe in everybody's ability to go from good to great or get from somewhere to good. You know, like everyone can do that. Of course. I, I believe it because I came from, we all came from V0, dude. Like we all sucked for a really long time before we got good. You know, something that is really interesting about both Andy and Katie and one of the reasons I thought it was so cool to talk to them is that I say on the podcast, and I'll say it again, if you were to rewind five or 10 years, they just, they wouldn't have stood out. And I, I, I say this, I mean, you know, they stood out for you, Tim, you, you saw Andy was great back then or, or was on his, on his path. And I, you know, and I would say this to their, I, I hopefully I even said this on the podcast cause I, I don't feel bad saying it, but you know, I, I saw a, Andy in a group. Uh, I, I I climbed with Andy and there was nothing clear that stood out about Andy that he was going to progress to the highest level of the sport. And Katie was great too, or Katie was damn good. I, I don't know if, it, even knowing what I know now, I'm not sure I could go back 10 years and say, oh yeah, the lamb sibling, they're going to be amazing. They're going to climb super hard. And so the thing to take away from that too, is if I walked up to you and met you, whoever you are, I don't know. Maybe you're going to be the one who climbs the first V18. And so, you know, just keep that down deep for yourself. You don't know what you're capable yeah. of. Just like Andy say, stumbled. <laughs> I just, I love it. I just stumbled ass backwards into V16, which I just think is so classic, Andy. Uh, and I, I even want to point out that this continues even into the territory where Andy and Katie are now, where you see something that we highlight on this podcast, I think is how many people are climbing insanely hard that you don't know about. 
there's lots of V15 and V16 climbers that you probably haven't heard about. And then what's interesting is I, I often keep an eye on these. I don't know. I can't help it. I, I, I see these people come up and I kind of hear about a hard send. You know, you, we just talked about Xander a lot, right? So go, okay, Xander, Xander Waller, wonder what he's going to do. And he might continue to climb and climb hard and climb V14s and V15s. But what's interesting is it's also hard to tell who from that group will go on to be the Daniel Woods, the Jimmy Webbs. And I actually was thinking about oh. Jimmy. And I remember Jimmy, and you actually could say this about Sean Rabatou uh, somewhat recently. If you just rewind five years ago, everyone knew who Sean Rabatou was. He was strong and up and coming, but it was not some kind of foregone conclusion that he would be the the Sean Rabatou that's crushing V17 is arguably one of the best climbers right now, if not one of the best boulders of all time. And so it's yeah. just, yeah, it, it, you know, there's nothing like I, the reason why I'm bringing this up too, is if you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, yeah, but I don't have the same finger strength as Daniel Woods. It's like, yeah, so what? We don't know. No one knows what could make you the great one. So just, you know, have that self-belief yeah. uh, and, and get after oh, it. Oh, I love what you're saying. I, I always, 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 like when I pick up a client or especially a youth client, you know, and they're, dude, like the youth client I was talking to yesterday, he was like, he's like, why'd you pick me? Like, he's like, why did you start working with me? And I was like, because I believed in you, period. Like, I just believe you're capable of greatness, you know, and I believe a lot of people are capable, capable of greatness. It doesn't mean you're going to be great. To be completely honest with you, it doesn't mean you're going to, but you have an opportunity to, you know, that's what greatness is. Greatness isn't, you're not born with it. Greatness isn't, you know, something you just pick up a, a magic pill and you're like, oh, now you're, or a genetic thing. And we talk about that a lot in climbing where it's like, oh, that guy just like that part must be easy for him. That's cool. You know, but we do know deep down that like, if you want to get to that high, high greatness in climbing, like that's not ever going to happen, you know, stumbling ass backwards into it. <laughs> and it is funny though, that Andy, like when, yeah, I, I did see like uh, the things that we talk about on the podcast are, are cool, or at least like the perspectives that for me, it was fun. For me, it was a really fun podcast. Cause uh, like I said, I me grew too. up in like a lot of my upcoming and climbing, like, you know, watching this guy and climbing with him and like being there for a lot of these you know, kind of crazy moments in his earlier career. And in a weird way, it didn't surprise me when he was climbing harder. I almost don't even respect him that much more that he's like climbing way, way, way harder than he was back then, because I saw that he was going to do it. It was, it was almost inevitable that he would climb at the hardest grade in climbing as long as he kept doing it, which is like such a crazy thing to think about. I think like a long time ago, it's not even like, yeah, again, like back then you wouldn't have necessarily estimated it, but you almost like, by the time it happens, it was like, wow, that was kind of inevitable. Wasn't it? This guy is just like so consistent. Like he just stays in the game and does it over and over and over and over again. Does the same thing. It just goes for it. Same thing. It goes for it. And man, you guys have to listen to that podcast. It's, it's like quiet. I think the things that he says are like quieted and like, you know, a little bit like natural for him because they are really natural for him, but they're all nuances and secrets of somebody who's extremely great at climbing and I just thought it was cool how casual it was for him to like explain his thought process. And I was like, Andy, <laughs> this is stuff that we like podcast on. This is stuff that we have to like break down deep. And so like, it's, and he's like, yeah, it must just be like normal or whatever. I'm like, no, that's why we have you on the podcast. You know, it's like, that's so interesting. And like, yeah, kudos to the lambs. Damn lambs. So good. Damn lambs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Uh, just really interesting for me to chat with him too, because I was in a different a time in my climbing career than you were, where you were kind of starting, where I was actually pretty darn strong at the time. And it was interesting to me that I would be stronger than Andy on the wall often. And I, I we said this to him during the meet and create. I was, you know, I'm like, 
I'm, I was kind of like Max where I was just thinking, geez, Andy, I'm, I'm climbing better than you on this problem. How come you're doing so well on these other problems? Or how come you were the one who got third in nationals and not me? And one of the reasons why I bring that up is not just to make fun of myself, but to point out how complex climbing is. And strength is great. You, you know, you, you you made some comment about genetics, uh, and like there's always a genetic component to everything. But having steel fingers is not the the linchpin that means that you're going to be amazing. I guarantee you that there's people out there who are physically stronger and more gifted than Daniel Woods, who will never be Daniel Woods. So what does that mean? Does that mean like? you know, you need to be stronger than Daniel Woods or less strong, or well, it, it just means that there's so many paths to greatness and climbing is so complex. And, and yeah, if you were just like, I was talking about how it was unclear that Andy or Katie were going to stand out. It's because they weren't, they weren't like the Daniel Woods strong where they're just bulked out giant shoulders, you know, one arm pull-ups are a joke. They just weren't like that, but clearly they found their own path to success. So Keep that in mind. Find find your path. Listen, or buy right. our training program for nine ninety nine. Um, all right, do the six week abs. For, yeah, and you'll have six weeks of abs. Uh, yeah. Take this pill. Um, uh, maybe there is a pill. I don't know. Uh, anyways, maybe there is, dude. Yeah. <laughs> there will be some. But you can definitely get there without the pill. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. We're, let's. We're gonna get banned for that. Uh, but if you do have the pill, my email is okay. Uh, that those are our announcements for the day. Actually, here's our announcements: is uh, we're working on getting a YouTube channel up and running. Uh, YouTube is probably the thing that gets requested the, the most, and we'll do all. Yeah, you know, we do these kind of little short form clips for Instagram, but there's a lot of opportunity to do even longer ones on YouTube and and put these uh, episodes on YouTube. So when you can see me and Tim miming the moves of sleepwalker or whatever as we're talking you you guys can't tell but there's a lot of miming of moves and a lot of pouring of coffee so you could watch the youtube and uh see us doing those things but bear with us we we both have jobs uh outside this podcast so forgive us for being slow and 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 actually that's all right i'm going to use that to to plug our patreon uh and i promise that a hundred percent of funds we get from patreon just go directly to the show there is no there's no pot of gold that you guys are, uh, you know, building up on the side. All we do with it is often really what we do is try to hire more help so we can put out more content. So, you know, anything you guys contribute really goes to us making the show better. And if you can't contribute, uh, then just maybe share the podcast with, with your friends that, that really helps us grow too. So that's, those are my announcements, Tim, you got anything to add? No, man. But yeah, it's funny. I don't, I don't get money from, there's money that comes into this podcast. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we do this, we do this out of love. We we do have, I mean, this is like, it's funny because this is like, uh, at the same time, like a lot of time that I put into this like test piece podcast thing, like per week, but then at the same time, and it's exhausting to do like, you know, for me, I talk about climbing like eight or 10 hours a day, every day to like multiple people. And so this is like, crazy but honestly it's the most fun climbing i'm talking about like with josh it's just so much fun so we do it out of love man but like if you guys want to support us and and it does help the show like the, the sh- and the show can grow a lot i get that's the thing that you know is interesting what josh is saying the, the show can grow a lot and we can put money into the show but we you know, otherwise we'll just do the bare minimum for fun and like well this is the bare minimum and it's pretty good Josh is learned, red. He's, he, he puts money in the show. <laughs> I learned a lot from, from the podcast. Just doing it is 
is really informative for me and getting to talk to these great people and getting to me too. ask guys like Andy those, those questions that I was honestly maybe too timid at the time to say like, Andy, I just did that move and you couldn't. How come you just did V16 and I can't? <laughs> What's going on there? Uh, anyways, hopefully hopefully we figured that that out a little bit uh, on the last pod. So so my pro tip, Tim, uh, Tim, we're talking about good route setting. We're talking all about route setting. And I just realized as I read this pro tip that it's almost like the antithesis of good route setting, uh, but it's not totally true. I'll, that's my lead in is I... My pro tip, I, I came, I came up with this one because I actually kind of pulled my my groin or my adductor, that like inner inner thigh muscle when you like pull your legs together. I mean, it's not messed up. I was just kind of showing off my my pistol ability to my buddy, and then while showing off, I hurt myself because I'm because I'm old, and that's what happens. Uh, and then I realized on the moonboard, especially how much I use that muscle while climbing hard. And the reason why this is related to route setting is usually you use that muscle when you only have one foot. And so uh, basically the pro tip is to use your leg that you're flagging really hard against the wall to create tension and stop barn dooring. And this is somewhat obvious, but I, actually let me set up the, okay, I'm going to mime it. So this will be for the YouTube channel. All right. Let's say you've got a hand at two o'clock and a hand at 10 o'clock. So, you know, just normal side poles next to each other. And then maybe you have a foot right in the middle around six o'clock. And then what you're doing is you're crossing over with your, from holding onto your right hand and reaching over with your left hand. So going across your body. And so you have a left foot on, and then you put your right foot out, you know, maybe around, I don't know, what would that be like? 4.30 to push against the wall. There's no foot over there. So you're pushing against the wall and that's giving you opposition on your right-hand side pull. So what is really interesting is when you reach through there, what you want to do is it kind of makes you want a barn door, right? You'll kind of like fall out from that side pull as a side pull will want to do. But when you push against the wall, yeah, you create opposition and tension. And so this is kind of climbing 101. Well, it's maybe like 102, but I just want to tell you how hard you can press. Like it is like, it is actually like when people talk about using their feed and, you know, pressing hard or whatever, I, I, I think people underestimate just how much tension you can gain from flagging and pushing seriously hard against the wall. And I realized that when I, when I pulled my, my groin, I was like, oh my God, I'm creating like, that's what this move was. Like this move was me pushing against the wall where there's no foot and I'm just creating that tension through that body. And I just found that really interesting. That's like, there's no foot there yet. That was the key for the move. Yeah. Push mm. hard. There are secret, secret climbing 102s out there, man. <laughs> and this is a good one. It is climbing 102 because climbing 101 would be like, okay, Josh, like, obviously that hap What if I have a foot though? Like what, you know, what if my right foot could just go on another foothold and I can squeeze like, oh, well, maybe use that. Oh, sure. I guess like Jesus, like, but what about when there's not, what about when there's not basically what Josh is saying? And I love this is if you have the, if you don't have anything that's obvious on the wall to make your feet active, you can still make your feet really active. And basically like, you know, the passive foot could, could be like flags and like, you know, weird positions and stuff. And that's a position that that's something that I'll see a lot of inexperienced climbers do is when they're doing this cross move with this like perched left foot, you know, pulling on the right hand, perching the left foot and like their right foot's basically in like air or 
maybe using the wall or like maybe in the wrong place, but using in the wall, maybe back flagging. Like basically that's just in, uh, I, they're showing me a, in a misunderstanding of what the feet are doing to each other, right? Because that adductor usage is usually complementary to the other foot, the other proactive foot, right? I always call like one foot's proactive and the, the other foot's either like passive or you know, maybe side active or it's a supporter foot, right? I always say a proactive foot and a supporting foot and that support can happen in lots of ways. And sometimes it's obvious, especially in the gym, especially when you have good route setting or maybe purposefully bad route setting. We'll see, you know, this is of course is a deep conversation, but (laughs) But, uh, when there is route setting for it, maybe it does make sense, but when there's not, and it doesn't make sense, you can still use your stuff. That adductor um, like topic came up with Andy, the coach that I was working with, and we don't really work together anymore, but I love Andy and, you know, I always would like to work with Andy him. Tolfson. Um, the strength, yeah. Yeah. Tolfson, yeah, the strength coach that we've kind of brought on and I've talked about in the past a lot. Um, I asked him to train my adductors because when I go to comps, like it's a new meta, like route setters start to realize these little things too. Like route setters grow this like newer 102 in climbing, 103 in climbing where they're like, how, what's like components of rock climbing that are really hard you know and like how do we make them more and more volatile it's a word that i used a lot also for for route setting and for climbing because volatility is an interesting one we like as climbers to find control we like it but route setters like to take that away you know and like the ways to take that away is to add this kind of like adductor usage because climbers are so bad at it and basically what you start to see in the meta shift for route setting in the last like two or three years in my opinion that's when I started to notice it was like volumes were started to be used more in like the squeeze way where you didn't necessarily have like active jibs or spikes. You started seeing way less like spikes as footholds or like more in-cut footholds. You were seeing these like really squeeze heavy feet. When you're watching like World Cups, you're watching nationals and you're watching like really hard competitions or high level competitions. And you're like, dude, those holds are just, or like those holds look pretty good. Like why are these guys falling or whatever? Look at the feet. The feet are probably where it becomes really difficult because because that that squeezing with your feet is so hard like it's so difficult so yeah good pro tip to implement to yourself but also pay attention when you're watching other climbers like look at that other that supporter foot that supporter foot's probably more active than you think if it's not on anything such a good pro tip but yeah i also strain my adductors a lot all right okay yeah that makes me feel better that it's not just me so on that same move i was talking about just to kind of i love what you're saying about that supportive foot or using that foot that that maybe doesn't have a foot that can still be really important. So you can just even reverse this. So go back into the move where I'm saying you have a, a hand at two, a hand at 10. So, you know, just right in front of you, but kind of to each side and then a foot right beneath you. So at six o'clock. So the, in the example I used, you were holding onto your right foot and crossing over with your left hand. But what if you were going from your left hand and crossing over with your right hand, well, then you would actually, and, and you had a left foot, backflip. not a right foot. You could backflip, but you could still create that yeah. same tension, right? So you're pressing with your toe hard against and, and keeping yourself from barn dooring. So that means all of your barn door tension is just resting on the top of your foot against the wall in a smear with no foothold. And it's like, I, I guess the reason why it's interesting and in more 102 or 103 is that it's hard to explain to someone that what the key for that move is is pushing against the wall with not even the bottom of your foot on not even a hold, not a foothold, not anything. And that's the key to it. And so it's just, you know, when you start reading things and you don't see another foot, just, yeah, try to add that kind of thinking to your repertoire, to your library. Yeah. Micro tip to that pro tip, the, the height will matter. 
the side to side distance will matter, like where that that smear goes, because it's infinite. It's basically infinite where that supporter foot can go. It really matters to just change it up. Like if you guys are trying this type of thing, you're like, these idiots, Josh doesn't know what he's talking about. It's so much harder this way. Well, you're probably doing doing it wrong, but just trying it different things will teach you a lot about that movement and seeing like what you're supposed to do, what you should do, or what you can do, what you can't do. Basically, Dude, that's that's what climbing should always teach you. Can I add one more micro tip just when you're saying yeah. that is uh, I, I really like this concept of supporter feet and primary movers maybe. And one of the ones that this happens a lot on moonboarding with people who aren't as used to steep stuff is imagine you, God, this really needs to go on YouTube. Imagine you are in a drop knee and you need to stand up in the drop knee. Well, just think about how your one foot is pushing. Usually it's gonna, like your, your pushing foot is going to be the knee that's not dropped. Then usually what the drop knee is doing is pulling your hips into the wall. So one foot is going to be sucking you in close to the wall. The other foot is going to be giving you the distance. And I just, I, I people, people may think it's obvious. You're like, oh, I do a drop knee and it just kind of like pulls me into the wall. But really actually thinking about what those feet are doing and why, and one is giving you the distance and one is keeping your hips into the wall, which makes that whatever handhold you're on feel better because your center of gravity is then under it, especially on a steep wall. And just when, if you don't understand what those feet are doing, then how can you lean into making them better? And it makes me think of that question we had at the classroom uh, around video analysis. And it's like, well, these are all the little things you can optimize. You can you know, push harder with your push foot. You can pull your hips into the wall more with that drop knee. And if you don't understand what each foot is doing and why, then it's hard to get that extra little 5% out of it as you're struggling with a crux move. Mm, such a good micro tip. I Dude, like you... It's crazy. You bring up a microchip. I'm like, I got like three more that's popped <laughs> in my head. I'm not going to bring them up. We should do a podcast. Like so many little nuances. With, yeah, we should do a podcast. This is crazy. Uh, <laughs> there's so many little microchips with this thing. and um, But that's a cool one. I, I think that one's, uh, it's a bit, it was a strange one for me to run into when I started coaching. I was like, wait, y'all don't know how to drop me? Like, it, why are you, what are you doing with that push foot? Like, what's going on? Like, you're dropping the knee, but it's not doing anything. You're not hitting, you're not doing the right thing. Like, yeah, if you guys are struggling, just pay attention to what both your feet are doing and what they're supposed to be doing and like why they're doing that. Uh, and then fix it, fix it. Just practice. It just takes practice. It's okay if you don't know and make some mistakes. Is that your you advice? Fall, as a, you suck. As it's a okay. coach, just fix it. Just, just, <laughs> just fix it, guys. <laughs> yeah, literally it is because because I work with a lot of people and they just like they just fall on things. They're like don't know how and they're like all right, help, coach. And I'm like, what the hell are you talk? Go pull back on. Like let's go. Let's come on. Like you figure it out because like I'll tell you what to fix and like what it's supposed to feel like. But like if you're not trying to figure it out yourself, then like I'm not useful here. Like what the hell are you doing? I actually will get Matt, dude. It's crazy. Like if you ever work with me, like, yeah, I'll get Tim love. I'll get in there. Like, oh yeah. Because I want you, because I actually care because I actually want to help you because if you actually want to get better and you actually want to, you know, stick your moves or like progress, it actually is that tough, you know, and like good friends and like good coaches are there for you. And like, will point out when you're not trying hard enough, you know, when you're not just doing the right thing. And so like coming out and being like, Hey coach, like, what do I do? It's like, that's not going to help. That's not going to help you ever. You know, like you got to like, maybe tell me like, okay, Hey, like, I think this is what I'm trying to do, but like, it feels like it's like weird. You know, that's, that's a good client. That's a good athlete to say like, okay, this is what I'm trying. feels weird. It feels wrong. Like I see that I'm supposed to do something else. Like what am I doing wrong? Right. That's, that's a good way to fall and be like, and you could just do that to yourself. You can just fall and be like, all right, buddy, like, what am I doing? Like, okay, I tried that, but like, all right, these are my options. That's what I do when I'm sitting by myself and climbing. I'm coaching myself. 
I have a pro tip. <laughs> Let's hear it. Just change gears uh, away from this, and we'll probably go back straight into it. Uh, my pro tip is a completely different uh, gear here, but uh, something I've been thinking about more. Uh, I've been I, I always go in moods and phases of like my thinking of life and like climbing, and lately it's been a little bit more philosophical and like bigger, um, like a little bit more like macro view and like step back. And uh, my pro tip is that climbing is a community sport. You know, even though it's individual, uh, I've always learned and really valued how much a community aspect can be. And we talk about this a lot, too. It's just been so influential in my life because it's been done a good way. And I have grown up in climbing and been to a lot of different climbing gyms. And it's been a part of a lot of different climbing communities. And some of them aren't that good. And some of them don't do it very good. I guess my pro tip here is be friendly. I think like it's can be misconceived, you know, it can be like, yeah, misconceived or like misunderstood on what being friendly is like, or like building community or being social in a climbing gym is like. And honestly, I've had a lot of experience and I'm not going to ever tell you guys like where the places are that I, you know, have good or bad experience, maybe Josh. Um, but I've had a lot of really bad experiences and really good experiences in, in climbing gyms. And it's kind of always dependent on the people I run into and like my interactions with these people. And for me, a really easy way to get into good, friendly conversation with people. And this is genuine. This is authentic is Hey, what are you, what are you trying right now? Like, how's it going? That's something that I don't really hear that often, especially like climbers who watch, you know, better climbers or like when climbers watch me, it's more like I'm a zoo animal, you know? And like, I, I love when climbers come up to me and say like, damn, like, what, what are you thinking about there? Like, what are you trying? Like, wow, that like looks so easy for you or, or whatever. Like that looks, that looks really hard or whatever. Like, I don't know, just having genuine conversation about the climbs or like genuine conversation about your progress on something. And I'll always do that. If someone's like, kind of about it and some people kind of aren't about it you know some people like want the ego some people want the ego stroking in some way and i don't i don't care you know i just i'm just there to climb and so if we're just there to climb and we're trying hard and we're genuinely interested in each other's like journey or problems it becomes a way cooler community you know like the old community in climbing the old culture in climbing was really like genuinely everybody was trying hard and like interested in their own projects and like interested in each other's projects and that's something that's really lost over time so be friendly that's my pro tip. Yeah. Don't be a dick. <laughs> don't get on Reddit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, if you see me, Alec Bishop climbing, just come up and offer me a beer. That's, that's, that's it. You can just do that. <laughs> it's a joke. Kim. Yeah, it's jo- no, nice, you, dude. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do like beer. Um, okay. Uh, I, I'm, I, I won't add anything to that pro tip other than I, I climb because of, community. I, I do love climbing. I freaking love climbing, but honestly, I love skiing. I love gymnastics. I could have been a surfer. Like I, I, I love all this stuff, uh, but I, I think that what keeps people coming back and loving the thing that we all do is, is the community. So, I mean, that's why we're here, man. Just like we were saying, this is not, uh, this is not our full-time job. It's to uh, give back to the community and to meet more people in the community and to deepen the ties with the thing that we all love to do. So yeah, be friendly. I, I like it, Tim. You're, you're friendly. I mean, that's how I met Tim. Uh, Tim was this uh, little kid, and but he was psyched and he just was uh, hanging out. And it, it would have been very easy for me to be, you know, I don't know, I'm probably, I was probably like early 20s or mid 20s. Uh, I could have just told him to bug off, you know, like, yeah, I hear you, little Grom. Uh, I was back annoying. When, come back when you're climbing V12. Although people were really good to me too, as a, uh, when I was young and, you know, shout out to yeah. Vic Copeland, Beth Rodden, Mike Wickwire, uh, Dustin Sabe, all these people who could have just 
pushed me aside, but instead they took me on climbing trips and taught me ethics. And so, yeah, uh, I don't know. Well, mm. a little trip down memory lane for me there, but so good. Okay. I Tim. saw Vic the other day. Shout oh, out. Oh, you Vic. did? Awesome. I, I couldn't, I couldn't say hi to him cause I was busy, but Hey, if, if you're listening, lo- we love you, Vic. He's such an Absolute awesome guy. OG of, of the climbing world who has done tons of the first ascents in Bishop and just was kind of part of that first wave of bouldering in California. I, it's people don't get it. That bouldering was just not a thing. And I remember, gosh, I remember coming up to Donner. We would, we'd spend some time up in Donner for the summer and having Vic come up there. And I'm like, you know, 11 or 10 years old or 12 or something. Wow. And one summer, you know, we're climbing out at star walls and stuff. One summer we're like, Oh, let's bring like this crash pad. Like we'd like, there is probably like a cordless or something or, you know, this, and we kind of like played around on some boulders and this has got to be in 1995 or something. And it's not like, it's not like bouldering wasn't around then. It's just, it wasn't, it just wasn't a thing. And it's so interesting to see that bouldering is much more popular than sport climbing or or trad climbing or mountaineering or really anything. And, and I'm okay with that. And it's just kind of, um, cool to give a little bit of homage to those people who put up those boulders that you love. So, Oh dude, look at, check out this segue. So on the topic of, uh, putting up boulders that you love route setting, uh, route setting, (laughs) route setting is something me and Tim talk about all the time. I've been climbing a bunch more now that I'm, uh, I'm healed up and it's just a topic that is always really interesting because let's face it. Like it's freaking climbing. Like this is what we do. It's like, it's like the food at a restaurant, like a route setting. What, what are we climbing on in it's the gym? The food at a restaurant. It's it's the food, and and if it's good food, it's good, and if it's bad food, it's actually still pretty good. But uh, <laughs> at least it's still climbing. So uh, <laughs> it's like pizza, even when it's cold, it's still pretty good. So we just kind of wanted to, to dive in a little bit deeper on route setting. And this is not a how to on route set, but it's it's maybe it's maybe a little behind the scenes on what makes route setting good or, or bad or great. And, you know, if you've never even been on good or great route setting, you, you might not even realize what's, what's wrong. Uh, and so there's some, there's some tips here on how to tell if, how to tell if your gym has good route setting or bad route setting. And, uh, you know, I also want to point out sometimes the route setting is good and it's actually just you who's not so good. And so don't be one of those people who's I was gonna always, say that. <laughs> yeah, don't don't blame <laughs> the route setters for your failure. I, I've definitely <laughs> seen that happen. Uh, especially honestly, especially when it comes to shorter climbers where they could be kind of right, but I don't know. We we've gone into that whole morpho stuff in another podcast. But uh, and just before we get into it, I just I I really do want to put a little disclaimer out there that this is not comprehensive. This does not capture all of what route setting is or how to route set or anything. And, and and we do have route setters in the pipeline. We will get commercial route setters, competition route setters, and hear their take on all of it. Uh, th- this is just more more fun about the behind the scenes in route setting that me, Tim, me and Tim know a decent amount about. And I'm also hoping that it can help. It can help everyone as climbers, kind of open their eyes and and be informed and not in a way to complain uh but just there's an appreciation that uh that can there's an appreciation of route setting that can add to your experience of climbing when you when i started route setting i literally enjoyed climbing more and it's like this thing where i don't know something like food network 
to, to use the food analogy again, Food Network got really popular. And if you really understand all the roots of how food is cooked, it, it actually makes you appreciate the food more when you go out to say a fine dining and you understand the love and the care. And, and I even think that route setting made me appreciate specific climbs outdoors in certain ways where sometimes the nature would make a climb that I just thought, wow, like that was just, it was almost like the perfect example of a, how to heel hook when using a sloper rail and you just go, whoa, like how did this occur in, in nature? So that's kind of our goal here is, is to go over outside and just maybe give you a little more appreciation for what you're doing. And I think you'll make it, make climbing literally more fun for you. Man, uh, yeah, I love I love what you're saying to preface this discussion. And yeah, man, we, we talk about route setting so much. I mean, Josh and I both worked as commercial route setters for a while, but not only was that significant, I actually thought that the Planet Granite route setting wave, now that I've been around a lot of route setting groups and, you know, gyms, was an amazing, amazing wave of climbers who were really high level, working for very little money, you know, working very hard job, a very artistic job, a creative job for very little money. And these people cared so much and put so much work and effort and time and thinking and intention into every movement they're putting up. Route setting is hard as it is, you know, even if you're just skilled, like, and it's just easy for you to put up good roots, it's still hard and it's still taxing on your mind. And sometimes you just want to do your job. Sometimes you just, as a route setter, go in and you do your eight hours of like stripping, moving holds, lugging around huge pieces of plastic, putting things up on the wall, screwing things, cleaning things over and over again, getting dust everywhere in your ears, in your nose, in your eyes. And then you just want to do your job. And you, sometimes you don't want to think about the creativity of things. And sometimes you still just have to. And so, yeah, I, I just, I also want to double on just like appreciating it, not necessarily just to appreciate the craft of route setting and climbing, because that's the product that we consume. That's what we eat. That's what we consume but also just to appreciate the work that it takes. And it's really difficult. And man, I only appreciated it once I started route setting. <laughs> it Tim, really, uh, really was that way for me. Tim, how much do you think I got paid when I was route setting? What do you think I started at? What was minimum wage back then? Like $8, $7? I'm not that old. An dude. hour? Uh, <laughs> it wasn't that long. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I earned minimum wage because I was route setting on federal land, which I think didn't have minimum wage restrictions or it was Whoa. different. It was the federal minimum wage versus California's minimum wage. I think I earned $11 an hour, but I was going to say $10 an hour, but yeah. Yeah. Luckily uh, for me, Rod saying was, was more of a, a labor of love that I did on the side. I still worked. I, I, I had another job when I was doing it and I, I only said about one day a week, but mm. I just remember, but it's unfortunate thinking, that, wow, that's not a lot of money. Yeah. It's unfortunate that every route setter kind of does it out of a labor of love and climbing gyms know that so they can exploit that. And so that's another discussion okay, yeah, that let's, I just wanted to bring uh, up dude, a little bit. But If you <laughs> want to go on to, to Reddit and, and talk about uh, a bunch of really <laughs> controversial things, we can get into that, but let's not do that. Um, so, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, you should be sorry. That's way too controversial <laughs> for this podcast. No, uh, t Tim, why does good setting matter? Uh, and I, I mean, I kind of, put a hint out there because it's what what we do. We, we climb on, but I, I guess I, I want to dive in a little bit deeper into that about how important good setting is. And I, I mean, for one thing, yeah, again, it is just, it's a lot of what makes climbing fun. And I've been back in the gym and I just am freaking loving being in the gym, all that community, but uh, you know, I've just been enjoying it and paying attention to the route setting. And so of course, like it's, it's what we do, but I think the, the thing that maybe is a little hidden under the surface is that people start climbing typically in the gym and progress typically in the gym and good setting 
actually teaches you climbing mechanics without you realizing it, right? It's, it, it's this thing where you have to do, uh, well, maybe not have to, I'm, oh, I'm just going to paint these broad brushes. You have to do a drop knee to do this move or something like that. And so maybe you've never done a drop knee. And so you can't figure out, you can't figure out, you see someone do a drop knee, you've maybe you know, never done one. And then you do a drop knee and it's just like, oh, that's a move that I've never done before. And that's what, you know, that then is a movement that just got inserted into your body and brain from the route setters. And, and that's often what good route setting is, is this forcing of specific movement that causes you to learn and do something that you've never done before. And then that adds to your understanding of climbing. So that's kind of fundamentally one of the reasons why good setting matters beyond just, this is fun. Uh, and yeah, I just, I just wanted to put that out there. Cause I, I think that people yeah. don't recognize that that's what learning, <laughs> like you're learning by climbing. Totally. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. You... yeah I, I like how you're starting and, um, and answering the question. I, I like how you're starting with like, why, why does good route setting matter? Um, and maybe stepping back a little bit, the difference between good and bad and maybe like purposefully bad or good, you know, that's what we were kind of talking about for route setting. There's, there's good route setting and there's bad route setting. And then sometimes there's purposefully bad route setting. There's like purposefully like, you know, maybe not, that's not the best way to describe it, but <clears throat> people know what the good route setting is, you know, kind of what we were talking about just before where there's kind of an even, the, the, the least resisted route up the wall is maybe the best, you know, the best way to do it is specific techniques, right? And that's good route setting where maybe in order to do this, the easiest way you would do this technique, but you could maybe do it other ways, obviously, like climbing can be done other ways, as long as they're in a certain grade range and you, you have certain strengths that are above that certain grade range or whatever, you can probably do it and break beta specific ways through strength or through different techniques, but good route setting highlights, good techniques, specific techniques, and that's going to be the easiest way to get up the wall. I would take a step back from that also and just say that for me, my philosophy and how I'm kind of analyzing and assessing route setting as a whole is trying to understand what the route setter is doing because a route setter always has different goals. You know, sometimes a route setter is putting up a trainer. Sometimes a route setter is putting up a fun route. Sometimes a route setter is putting up a, a stimulating route. It's just important to know kind of the general type of boulder or route you're going to hop on. And a route setter should probably know that too. And in my opinion, a gym should know that. A head route setter should know the balance of their gym and how many of X, Y, and Z styles of climbs even exist in your gym, in my opinion is something that should be taken care of because you're right in that climbing can be a tool. Climbing can be just for fun. Climbing can be, you know, a tool for, you know, many, many different types of things. And whether it's a tool to work on your mental game or whether it's a tool to work on your technical game or whether it's just for fun, just to like explore movements or just to, you know, consume movements. You know, I think they're all different purposes and different reasons for climbing. And a route sitter should know that a route sitter should know the difference between a fun route and a teaching route. And you can even ask a lot of route setters and route setters have deep philosophies on these things. You know, why do you routes? What do you think route setting is for? You ask a route setter this a lot. And though, you know, I'll hear a lot of different answers. Like sometimes route setters will say, there's a common one that I'm teaching. I'm teaching climbing movements. Very common one the route setters say. And I feel that way too, personally, as a route setter, like I'm teaching a lot of climbing, but also I'm just providing a place for fun. That's what a lot of what I'm doing. I'm, I'm personally like 50, 50, I like either set well, that are fun or boulders that are fun or boulders that are teaching. Yeah. Fun, fun and challenging are intricately linked. And it's, that, that's kind of actually where good and bad saying can come into is you can make something that is fun, but not challenging and just kind of boring, but still kind of fun. And that's okay. And you can make something that's has 
seriously hard, challenging mood, but move, but it's no fun. And so yeah. it, it's this weird interplay. And I, I thought that we should define these completely arbitrary levels. So don't, don't complain on Reddit, just totally arbitrary that me and Tim just kind of randomly have made up while, while talking. And we're going to say level one is bad, bad route setting. Level two is good. And level three is great. And really, you know, quickly going through them, bad route setting, it's just, let me think how we should do it. Let's, let's define them really quickly as an overview and then go into what makes something bad, what makes something good and what makes something great, or maybe some, some hints of what they are. Bad route setting is just, gosh, how do we explain this? I mean, there's not feet that feel comfortable, the holds are awkward or tweaky, or it's, it's really inconsistent, maybe super cruxy. You know, there's, it's a V12 because it has one V12 move and then the rest is V2. That would be bad. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of like attributes of bad route setting, but the, the kind of core that I think of bad route setting is the movements and the feet don't make sense. <clears throat> like they're not connected. That's, that's just what I see as bad route setting. Inconsistency can be a huge sign of bad route setting too, or like, yeah, V12 crux and like V3 flow in and out of it or something. Um, or like, that's a really, polar way of seeing it it's usually not that polar you know sometimes it could be like a v7 crux and the climbs v7 but then the rest of it's like v4 or something that's very common that's more like but also yeah. just the feet thing is the thing that i notice regularly like regularly i'll be able to point out bad route setting like that i'm just like that that's not thought out perfectly because that foot and these things like you have to understand what route setting is it, you know when you're actually the, the physical mechanics of route setting is you're putting handholds on the wall first or like footholds on the wall and you have movements in mind but then you like pull on you're like huh if this is turned this way, like it's infinite variability as a route setter. You can turn holds and place them exactly where you want them to be. And so it's really hard to like make them in perfect places because some things just make sense. If you grab a hold and it's facing one way, kind of leads your body in a certain way. And if you're going to force your body to go some way else, you kind of have to have specific feet, specific directional feet, specific supporting feet, X, Y, and Z for the specific grade. And so when okay. those aren't thought out perfectly, that's bad route setting. Don't worry, Tim, we'll get more deep into the, into all the things that make something bad. <laughs> it's, it's in some ways it's easier to point out the bad than, than the, the good. Uh, and yeah. I, and when you talk about footholds, one of the other kind of hallmarks is that it is really easy to, to break the beta by just grabbing footholds instead of handholds. And it actually reminds me of this era in a gym that was near me where for whatever reason, they just got obsessed with making the hard climbs have little hands and big feet, often these giant kind of toe hook features. And so many times you could just literally climb the feet and make it V5 instead of V10. Like you could literally, it was like a whole different. And I, I actually, I it, it was bad route setting. I like where they were thinking they were kind of playing around with this. What if you have tiny little hands, but big feet and, and experimenting with that, but they didn't know what they were doing. And that's why you could just break it by, by using nothing but the feet. Uh, so level two, we're going to call good. And in some ways, good route setting. Remember, this is just good, not great. Good route setting is almost kind of obvious and, and boring for a good climber where you just can tell. You just say, okay, <laughs> you're going to use that as a pinch. And then you're going to stand up into this undercling and it's, and the feet are in the right place. It just really flows well. And it's just, there, there's kind of a very clear, easiest way to do it. And I, I actually, I mean, this is some of the most fun things to climb on where you just walk up and, you know, I can, I can warm up by flashing 
uh, the climbs because I just know exactly where they're going. And this is typified when you're, you're climbing a route uh, and then you grab an undercling and you look for that foot to give you a push against the undercling and it's right there. And you're just like, of course it is. Thanks guys. And, uh, so to me, that's kind of good route setting. And, and I really, I just, I feel like there's no excuse for gyms not to just have good route setting always. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's kind of like what I was explaining when we were talking about this or like, uh, as a separate conversation, but basically I do think that gyms should have a percentage of good, good roots and good boulders, maybe even bad roots and bad boulders and great roots and great boulders. And in my opinion, the vast majority of your roots should be good just good. You know, nothing like crazy, nothing crazy bad, just good. Because yeah, Josh is totally right. Like for me, the, a lot of the fun is doing the moves and like seeing the moves right away and like trying to just commit to the moves because that alone is hard. Like climbing alone is like pretty hard when you're, because you can see pretty, I mean, this is a thing that also climbers as they get stronger and better at climbing, like, huh, like harder climbs are just like easy climbs, but harder. Like they're not actually, you know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're like still obvious moves. Like you look at V10s and you're like, wow, that's really hard. But it's like, I see what it's happening. Like you, when I was younger, I thought that like V10 and V12 would look impossible. Like I was going to climb a drywall or something. And as I got better in at climbing, I was like, whoa, like it's still like good holds, but man, it's just hard to like use this foot in this way and like do this crazy jump or something. Like, you know, it's always, or like walk my feet in this, in this way with, with good holds. Like it's, it's really difficult. And, you know, so the movements of climbing are always going to be difficult. You just scale them. You can make them like worse holes or slightly further away or something, but they're still obvious movements. You know, there's still a lot of obvious movements. And then, yeah, yeah going to great route setting, I'll just do the segue. Great route setting can have a lot of variety here. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of directions you can take from the good, but basically the, the has to have a foundation of good. And then you can make deliberate choices to compromise your movement or make it kind of tricky or a little bit deceiving, you know, even, and, you know, there's lots of options, but all options feel kind of the same. And yeah, that's where, I, that's how I see great route setting uh, to come. Yeah. I, I, I think that last point you hit on was maybe the, the, the special one for great route setting is that there's multiple options, but that they're all the same difficulty. And so it's interesting because it's both cryptic and obvious. You say, okay, yeah. you could grab it like there, or you grab it like there, or you could grab it like there. And then you sit there and you think, which one's the easiest or which one's the best for me? And that's really difficult to set. At the, you know, when we're talking about that good route setting, a good route setter, and I'm going to shout out Brian Cuz, Brian Hedrick, uh, nice. you know, Walker, Walker Emerson, Danny Harris, uh, Max Olatukin, Mark Heal, all the people I set with a lot, they could just put up those good climbs. In just a, they could just do, 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 you know, six good climbs just uh, in, in, in afternoon. But this great route setting in, uh, this is where it takes time. And it sometimes good routes will randomly kind of fall into great route setting on accent. But this multiple options that are the same difficulties, I think, what is really special. And you see that in really good comp climbing where it's just somehow there's four different ways to do it for all different heights. And it doesn't always have to be that. I'd say that you can have these great route setting where there's like this unique movement that you've never done before, before, but somehow it feels natural at the same time where it just kind of is mind blowing where you've never thought to do some kind of 360 move, but you get into the position and then it just happens automatically. And you just go, whoa, like that was unique and special, but it felt so flowy and natural. You don't know how they pulled that off. And the, the other side of that that I think can be kind of cool is sometimes something, a move will feel 
weird until it doesn't. And then it's wonderful. And this is different from awkward. And then you figure out the beta and you're strong. Just It can even happen on something that's maybe an obvious move. And you think to yourself, oh, I got a sloper and a foot, so I need to really rock onto this foot. But just feel strange until you kind of find, like they put one extra little push foot to get your knee over. And somehow when you use that, it just went from really hard and weird to just natural and beautiful. And you know, obviously these lines are arbitrary that we're going between bad, good, and great. So I'm just kind of explaining some of those moments I've had where I go, whoa, like what just happened? I want more of those, please. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. And another, yeah, that's, that's a really good point too. And one, one more point I'll make about great route setting is maybe not so much like boulder to boulder or root to root, but gym to gym. Cause I climb at a lot of gyms. I climb at a lot of different gyms and I am good enough to climb almost every route and every boulder in most gyms. And at least right now in America, you know, I go to Japan or like Europe and probably can't do that. But in America, honestly can send the vast majority, if not every single boulder in a gym, I've done that before. And what I'll notice in entire gyms is how varied and creative the styles and the hold choices can be. And sometimes route setters don't even realize that. Like sometimes they don't even realize that like, Hey man, I just did the same V5 like eight times, you know, and they were all bad. Like, I'll just, I'll actually think that like quite often, I'm like, man, like every single one of these was bad. And, you know, I can see a, a, a similar thread in like a lot of these climbs where maybe some of them are really arm heavy. Some of them are really like turn heavy. Like, you know, route setters tend to still, they're still climbers, you know, they're still climbers who are learning and, you know, not all of them are expert rock climbers. They're just professional route setters, right? Because they're paid to do it to put up a product doesn't mean that they're going to make a good product. Right. And so I have a lot of, I have a lot of slack for route setters too, because I'm like, dude, it's really difficult to make perfect V fives all the time. Right. But every time I see this grade, for some reason it's in the, usually the V five to like V eight range is like some of the worst grade ranges in like terms of quality because of, and this is the the main one that I run into a lot. And also this topic came up because I just climbed at a gym that was like kind of new. And I was like, dude, this grade range was horrible. Like this, this one grade range was just like so much worse than this other grade range, which was very good. And another grade range that was very good. And they got horrible again at the high end or whatever. It's so interesting to me because, and I think it is really very much this like favoring of movements or like, you know, these route setters learn one thing and they're like, oh, that's a cool way to climb. And it's like, they don't necessarily realize that there's a lot, infinite ways to climb you know, and there's an infinite amount of ways to even just see the grade V5 or whatever. And so that's a common one that I see where you see consistent moves, consistent holds, consistent size. Like for me, if I feel perfect, if I feel perfect climbing a root or a boulder, I usually kind of immediately red flag that boulder or that root. If I feel perfect size, because I'm 5'11 with a plus one, dude, like I'm not the average climber size in most gyms, right? So I should feel a little bit tall for a lot of things in my opinion and i actually do at a lot of good gyms even at b-pump i can like skip you know certain sequences but i choose not to because i know what they're trying to do you know and I, i'm just trying to learn like basically what they see and that's You're not cheating but are you what are you doing <laughs> sometimes when i get really like ego and i'm like oh dude i should not have fallen on that one maybe i'll cheat because i'm like oh, i can't do it their way you know but for the most part i try to see it you know but anyway yeah but you know why variety why variety is also a pretty big sign of like an entire gym you know good or bad great Okay, well, I'm going to just list a few of the, the bad things that I, I think are in bad setting. And this will just give you a hint if maybe it's, it's your gym and you have bad setting. Uh, one of my biggest pet peeves are there's only one foot to use for a move. It's not saying that, you know, look, if you're climbing V12, then 
I, you know, just having one foot on that time is totally normal in a lot of climbing. I mean, it's all of moonboarding basically, but there's often no reason to do it on commercial setting. It, it, it doesn't really teach you much. And again, we end up smearing and just it, it, this is not a hard, none of these are hard and fast rules, but just it irks me when I'm on a V2 and I have to smear with a foot and use one foot on. And I just think, what are you trying to tell this V2 climber? Like that, that is not how V2 climbing should be. Uh, holds don't match or aren't from the same set. (laughs) This is, this is somewhat aesthetic, but it it matters. You, there should be a theme there in the in the setting, and also I think that this often leads to people having how do I put this? They should all be similarly good, like this kind of or similarly bad. This kind of consistency and the way you think about it is that often when you when you buy holds, they come in a set of ten. So it's like okay, I bought this slopey pinch set from Technic. And there's 10 of them, and they're not all the same. They're all pinches, maybe slopey pinches, but some of them are bigger, some of them are smaller. And what happens is, is when you set on a wall, there's different angles on the wall. There's a steeper section, there's a head wall, there's you know vertical terrain. And so what you do is you usually take those holds and surprise, surprise, you put the better ones on the steep section and the not as good ones on the not so steep section. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm being a dick. I shouldn't say it like this. It's it's something that you learn. Wait, but that's not obvi- like it's actually not obvious. Yeah, but if and it's been really important. For, yeah, if you've been setting for years, yeah. you, you I, should know this. I really like <laughs> what you're saying. The, the the great the great thing about that, like what you can recognize from great route setting in that way, is basically it's balanced. If if you know, because it's not always you know what you're saying is it's not a hard rule necessarily that you know the holds should be like in a gradient, like they should be close to each other. It's not necessarily true. Like that would be a lot of good route setting. But if there is like a deliberately good hold when there's a lot of bad holds or deliberately bad holds when there's a lot of good holds, there's a reason for it. And I just don't like when route setting doesn't have a reason for it. It's yeah, like, dude, yeah. that hold's just like slightly too bad and there's not even better feet now. Or well, like these feet are, and it's like, doesn't make sense for the grade. You know, well, that's yeah. a huge one. It doesn't make sense for that grade. And this is why some of these things aren't always obvious is that I would say, you don't want inconsistent size holds, just like you also want to make sure that the feet aren't uh, are inconsistent even with the hand holds. But sometimes you can play around with that and you can put a really bad hold with really good feet. But are people exactly. doing this accidentally? Like it would be really annoying if exactly. you're climbing and it's jugs and jug feet and you get to the top and it's really bad with bad feet. And it's, you know, yeah, three grades harder. And you think, well, why didn't they just swap these? It's really easy to, to uh, yeah, really easy to fix. And you know, on that note, even though we do want holes that match, you also don't want nothing but crimpers or nothing but pinches or nothing but slopers. You, you know, yes, it's cool to have a theme to it, but if, even if you think outdoors, there's always like a slopey blunt arette, but then with a crux little crimp or something right in the middle and just, you don't want to be boring on it. And some of these are just signs that maybe the setting is bad in your gym. And, and uh, so I'm kind of like just putting this out there for people who might be able to detect whether or not their their gym has great setters or not if they weren't sure uh and i also a pet peeve of mine is tons of matching or actually even honestly like any matching i'm just not a big fan of matching indoors sometimes it's really cool sometimes it can be done great but it's often lazy setting it's like i'm gonna put a hold that's a little bit bigger and they're just gonna match so i don't have to deal with two holds and 
yeah, I, I, know, I wanted to hear some of your thoughts so, on this stuff, Tim, because yeah, know, some of these are, are maybe a little controversial and it's not hard and fast. So just want to well, see what you thought. It's funny because it's not necessarily controversial is what I'm thinking about. It's just that a lot of these things are subjective. I'm like listening to you and I'm like, oh, interesting. That's like a subjective thing. Like, you know, sometimes I like that too. And sometimes I don't like that or it doesn't care. I don't care that much. But then you provide like a reason why that may be a product of what's happening. And I think that's where the disconnect between like members who are consumers and then the route setters and like that whole conversation between, which is like, I have my consumer experience and then I have my critical experience, right? And you're saying your consumer experience provides like a lot of experience where you're like, I don't like that. I don't like this. And I'm saying the same thing. I don't like this and I don't like that. And then we say, but as route setters, this is why this stuff happens. And that stuff's just not that good, you know? And there's a difference between the subjective feedback to like what you think is good and bad and what I think is good and bad. And then the critical feedback where we're like, but then this is probably why this stuff happens. And there's a lot of truth to it, you know, because a lot of route setters are just route setters and they're not expert route setters. I, I know very, very small percentage of route setters that exist that are actually expert or good or high level route setters, you know? And then even a level system that USA Climbing might use, and that's how we certify route setters right now. There's only one way to even see like what level, quote unquote, you could be as a route setter is in the USA Climbing or IFSC system, the official competition systems. And those are also kind of like weird because you just go and do certifications and whatnot. So anyway, to step back, I do, I, mm. I, I, yeah. I was just gonna, uh, I, I was kind of curious what you thought about with cruxy versus consistent. Uh, I, I'm more of a fan of the consistent climbing. And I, when I think about classic climbs outdoors, people climbs that people just seem to be drawn to, they often are consistent with the crux move, often either the buildup of all the moves or at the very, very end. And some examples would be Ironman traverse, high plains drifter, Soul Slinger. You can see my my thinking is about Bishop this year. Uh, and I went to a talk by Nika Klubja, who's a, a level five certified setter and also just a very thoughtful guy in the, in the setting world. And he told us about a time where he set up a camera after doing a set and it videoed everyone getting on the set and just kind of getting some feedback there. What did people like to climb about? Or what, what did people like to climb on and, and then why? And let's maybe set more of that so that people are enjoying it. And what he pointed out is that people like getting far up the climb, right? They, they want to feel like they're getting close to sending. And it's interesting because it's tempting to make one move that's really weird and, you know, super crux that you thought was really cool. But typically when we think of classic climbs, that one random cool move is still in the context of a, of a greater climb. And it's usually not right at the beginning. And my example would be the Hulk where the Hulk and Bishop it's been done a few different ways, but it was kind of a unique move where you shove a toe hook in and kind of fall backwards across as a cross move, a really cool V six, just freaking classic V six. And you can look at a video if you, you don't know that one, but that really interesting, cool move that made it special Actually, all the moves before it in the setup are probably similarly difficult. So, uh, yeah, I was just wondering what you thought about consistency over the climb versus having a very clear and distinct crux. Yeah, there's a really interesting way to look at this whole like kind of uh, topic. But uh, and I'm going to bring up one experience that I have uh, carefully because I don't want to. I don't want to piss anybody off, but, uh, it's not my, it's not my like goal here. It's, it's not, I'm not judging or critiquing anybody necessarily specifically. I'm just saying like, we've climbed a lot. Um, 
man, consistency matters a lot. Like the relativity matters a lot to me. It's not necessarily like just consistent roots or like just cruxy things or like good or bad. It's just that those things have to matter specifically. Iron Man Traverse is like really cool because it gets from easy to hard and then it kind of like mellows out right before the crux and then the crux is right after that. It's so perfectly route set, right? You can have your opinion about traverses or low balls or like whatever, but Iron Man Traverse is objectively a very high quality boulder problem just in the style and the relativity of the consistency and the crux and the style of the crux, right? The, con- the style of the consistency, right? Um, Soul Slinger is a super interesting one. You start on like the easiest moves and then it gets kind of more and more dicey and then just like a big explosion to the top right like it's so so perfectly it's so perfectly like relative to its own boulder for the grade like how do they do that it's nature like no one wrote set that thing right but for some reason yeah i'll climb roots and boulders and be like what's going on here like why am i pulling on and this is the hardest bit and then if i stuck this first move i would just literally if i could stick this first move i'm certain to go to the top or vice versa where you're certain to get to this last move but you're just going to project this last move for like a million years it's like yeah it's not necessarily fun and nickel club is totally right there we're like the fun and routes, the fun and climbing, like again, go from a consumer's experience, not a route setter's experience. I actually hated working with, you know, sometimes not necessarily just at Planet Granite, but like sometimes route setters where they just get married to a mover, like get married to a concept and they're more married to that concept than the experience of a climber. You know, it's like, you don't even, you don't even ask yourself the question eventually, like how would a climber feel on this climb? Like you not realize that the climb will be up for like two or three months. And that's I mean, many, many, many climbers are going to try this thing. And that's the most important part of the experience. Like route setters actually don't think about that all the time, right? And that's kind of why these problems occur where the consistency will be in a weird way or the breakdown will be in a weird way or the crux will be in a weird way. Um, so I, yeah, I also am with you and I don't like that. But one thing that I uh, want to point out that I climbed on a lot that I also just maybe, I, I it became like, I became a lot okay with it, but it was really interesting that this problem occurred. Momentum Mill Creek uh, was a place where, yeah, I know I'm calling out a gym, but uh, I'm not talking about the route setting in a bad way because I actually really like the route setting there. And sometimes there were things that, you know, they could have worked on or whatever, but it's not what I'm talking about right now. Momentum Mill Creek had an interesting uh, issue that occurred, I think, on the higher end of the grades, where everything about eight and up became really hard. Momentum Mill Creek also had a very specific style where their walls were so long and they set so many moves on these problems that you could feel like you were climbing a boulder and you did like two or three boulders on one boulder. And that's what happened. Basically, if you climbed a V8, it's like you climbed two or three V8s. Therefore, it was like a V10. But I think the problem that occurred, and this is hard to, this is just an assumption that these guys were forerunning the moves and each movement was as if it would be on a V8, but then collectively together, it ends up being a much, much, much harder problem. If you send like a momentum V10, and also this is like fluctuated a lot because I think they realized that, like, I think they actually realized and they're like, wow, maybe we should just make this like an actual V10, right? Because sometimes like different styles, but anytime they set power endurance style, like anytime they set a style where sections of movements would be no harder or easier than each other, they would always be this, each section would be the grade that it's set on the tag. It's like, just do the math. It doesn't end up, it doesn't end up that way. And so that's where I had a lot of beef was basically I would walk in the gym and, and again, it would be inconsistent. And for me, it'd be really hard to like test myself that day. Cause I have to basically do a really good job reading this problem for like a solid couple minutes before I would try it to even know what grade it actually was. Right. And again, we're not talking about, it's interesting that Josh and I aren't talking about grades almost whatsoever, except in this context about consistency and relativity to the movements and the style. <laughs> and that's, that was one that was super interesting to me. You know what I'm talking about though? Have you ever oh, pulled on boulders like that? Or totally, it's crazy. totally, but it just made me think of one of my other bad, you know, signs that maybe the setting is bad at your gym. And it's when the stand start and the sit start are more than two grades away from each other. 
I, I they don't mm. really do stand starts and sit starts as much as they used to in general in gyms, but it's it's a bad sign if you have uh, in uh, the the kind of basic climbing math when it comes to grades is uh, V4 plus V4 equals V6. V6 plus V6 equals V8. So if you have a sit start, usually you want it to be relatively similar similar to the grade of the stand start in the sense that it should it should make sense to add them together. But if you do a V9 into a V4, it, it just doesn't, yeah, it's yeah. like you get to the V4 and you're like, okay, like this is, it's done. You know, just like you're talking about, it's no fun when you pull on, you have a V9 move and then the rest is V4 and you just know that it's, it's a gimme. So I just thought that was funny because it's, it's another sign that they don't really understand what they're putting on the wall and, and why. And, you know, I, my, my joke here is if you're able to notice these things in your gym, if you've noticed, wow, like everything is really cruxy. Uh, there's just these one random cool move where you can tell they saw it on Instagram or TikTok, And so they did one big dyno and then a paddle dyno, and that was V zero to the top, uh, or this whole stand, start, sit, start thing. Or my other one that like uh, a pet peeve of mine is where they just throw random volumes and holds all over the wall with no clear path. There's just like, Hey, it's a big hold. So figure it out guys. Like that is just, I, I can't stand that. Uh, and so if you, if you're able to notice all these things, it's probably your gym and not you, but if you never picked up these things and you think that the, the setting is shitty, actually, maybe it's you. So, you know, uh, just want to give a caveat so that people aren't coming in and give a bunch of shit to their setters <laughs> and really maybe they yeah. just have listened to our podcast and we're like, yeah, see, see, dude, this was cruxy. And, and then you give your setters crap because that's, that's not going to help anyone. No one likes being told that yeah. they're doing a bad job. It's a good point. Uh, I remember what I was going to talk about before, and this is kind of a core like concept to me as why route setting itself is uh, can be an extremely important. You know, I like what you're saying before too. Is like route setting and climbing is just like the food of a restaurant where like if it's good, it's really good. If it's bad, it's still kind of good. Like, <laughs> and that's just like how bad route setting is. Like bad, like we all like climb. Every single one of you guys has probably climbed a bad boulder, a bad route. Even if you're at a gym that has, you know, for the most part, amazing setting, it still is going to have probably a couple. Well, most moonboard you know, problems but actually kind of suck. I would say most moonboard problems are horrible are problems. Bad. Yeah, objectively, just low bad. quality boulders. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And we do that on purpose, right? Because again, the moonboard is almost in some weird way like purposefully bad too. Because we know that there's not footholds everywhere, and we know that they're not like it's all hand foot matches man. and weird tracking, like just bad horrible. stuff that goes on there that i'm like bad this, stuff they that's fair actually to be the benchmark like this one yeah. because climbers climbers are just setting them and then somebody's just picking them as benchmarks which mean you know benchmark just means hard it doesn't mean high quality it just means hard uh yeah. so really really interesting thing there to note as well but the thing i was going to say before is people like climbers people you know think about the the reason that most people climb and then stay climbing and then want to improve in climbing right it's because of that whole feeling of fun and progression right people like people almost get fun out of progression, right? And yeah, don't go, come at me if that's not why you climb or whatever. It's just that my assumption and my call out is that most people like climbing and have fun with the progression aspect of it. So route setting should complement that, right? Because if most people's joy in and goal in climbing is to get better, then we should honor that in the route setting process. And basically what all route setters, in my opinion, should know is that people, the climbers are a product, the movements that they do. 
or the movements that they try. And so if, you know, that's why the B pump pod, uh, the B pump, you know, climbing in Japan podcast for me was so significant. Cause I was like, they don't really care if you fall, if you can't grab a sloper, like they make you grab a sloper and they kind of don't give you the best feet for that. They know that it is possible a lot of ways. And then they make you deal with it almost on any grade. And, and I say slopers specifically because slopers are much, and we have a whole podcast on sloper love, go check it out. Uh, we talk a lot about the significance of slopers and why they're so intricate and why they're so cool for creating movement and why B pump really, you know, and again, it's oh, so significant. They're like many podcasts later, many episodes later that I have this experience way later. It's like this gym has like, like 60% of the holes in this gym are slopers, man. Like, you know, at least maybe more. And like most American gyms have a, a, a bunch of pinches and crimps, you know, and like pinches and crimps kind of, uh, for specific movements right away where slopers open up a lot of movement possibilities. Right. And so because of that, that, because that's significant and the culture in Japan was something I was talking about where these guys kind of just like try and try and try and try and like, don't give up, you know, that that's, that's just a part of the culture in their society. And so mix that with slopers. Oh, these guys just try boulders and try different ways on boulders and don't give up over and over again. Therefore, the product, the people in Japan are better climbers. Taking that back to what I'm talking about, if we provide as sorry, if route setters provide good challenges, the right challenges, the right consistency in challenges, the right cruxes and challenges, the right types of holds, then people will get better at climbing. I think that's really the significance of this podcast or like this topic for me is that if route setting gets fixed, as a whole, and people know the difference, if route setters know the difference between good, bad, and great, and they make deliberate choices to have those things or to fix certain things, then climbers will get better, right? Climbers will always just reflect, like the how climbers progress, you know, the results of that, or, you know, I'm trying to say, that will show based on what they've been doing in climbing. And and I really full-heartedly believe that because I've done a lot of good and bad climbing. And, and again, when I do bad climbing and bad route setting, or I see bad route setting, I counter it. I don't just like succumb to it. I'm like, God, what a horrible route. I do different things based on that. And we're we're going to talk about that later, but that's why, because I know that how I climb it and what I climb on and what movements I'm doing is going to be a direct product of what I end up becoming as a climber. Yeah. That's actually really, really important. What you said, where in some ways, in a lot of ways, as climbers, we are just a culmination of all the moves that we have performed. And so if you just, and how we do them and, and how we do them. And, you know, a lot of that is in the route setter's control, especially when you're a beginner and you don't really, you know, you're not traveling around the world to new areas. You're not driving to a bunch of different gyms. You're not on the moon board and the kilter board. You're just kind of taking what you're given. And so that's important. That That's really, really important. You are the culmination of can I say, moves. Go ahead. Can I say one more thing that basically the way that I see bad route setting also based on this context is if, if you're, tr- if you're trying a boulder or trying a move and you're struggling and you can't do it or whatever, and it's maybe even a grade that you're supposed to, you know, quote unquote, supposed to climb and you can't do it. And the only way for you to actually progress on this climb is to go and train to get stronger. It's probably a bad boulder. It's probably a bad route. I don't think that's the reason why you should not be able to do a move. There's always solving. And me as a climber and me as a coach, I am accustomed and it's ingrained in me to tell myself and tell people that if you're not doing a move, it's because you're not doing it the right way. But unfortunately I'll try boulders sometimes and be like, okay, all right, this boulder right here, I just can't pull on this hole. I just can't do it. But it was like, what a stupid boulder then. Like, it's not actually giving me an opportunity to teach myself anything on this climb. I just have to be stronger for it. It's probably a sign that's not a good boulder. And that's why we're saying the moon boards, like sometimes just bad boulders. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A, A good example of that is that 
uh, a setting saying that's not so good is maybe a forced jump dead point to a bad hold, you know, a mediocre hold, and you know you're going to cut feet. Good setting is often where you have to make a big move to a bad hold, but there's no way you're going to do it if your feet cut. And the feet are set up so that you have to keep mm. them on. And then, you know, maybe if you climb three grades harder you know, and your fingers are unbelievably strong, yes, you can cut feet, but that's bad setting where you, or actually conversely, it's good setting when the only way for you to do the move is to keep your feet on for a big move. I, I, I love that because in general, that's what typifies hard outdoor climbing versus hard indoor climbing. And it shouldn't necessarily be that way where hard indoor climbing. And honestly, to be honest, this is something I really excel at is jumping and cutting. Like I can jump and cut yeah. all day. That's, that's me on the moon board. That's what the moon board is, but, uh, or many, many times, but hard outdoor yeah. climbing, you usually can't cut feet. I mean, just like yeah. there's very few V14s that the trick is, oh, you just need to cut feet there. Totally. Like it's, it's no, it's, you need yeah. to somehow keep your feet on. Um, Tim, yeah. and, uh, and if, if ahead. you do cut feet, it's fair. Like basically if, if it's easiest for you to cut feet and you're a certain height and another climber six inches shorter than you also has to cut feet and it's also similarly mm. easy that way, that's basically how sleepwalker works. You, you know, you don't cut feet at all until you get to the end. You do this like jump to this mono pinch thing and you kick your foot up to the finish. Doesn't, it doesn't matter how tall you are. It's just, that's the easiest way to do it. You can be strong <laughs> in campus, but the easiest way to do it, no matter what height you are is to cut feet in campus, your toe up. To the, I, don't to the know, I don't know if you all heard that, but Tim just mined the move and like punched his closet because he's in a closet right now. <laughs> that, that's great. Uh, the, the few things I wanted to make sure that we actually just, yeah, the two things I, I wanted to talk really quickly about ergonomics and kind of get your, your take on that and how that relates mm. to good and bad setting. And, and it, it, it's because it's not super clear to me, to be honest. Um, so kind of wanted to, to mention that. And then we, we should just really quickly offer up some tips to people about what to do if they are in the place with bad setting. Like how, how do you, we just said how important it is, what kind of movements you include in your, in your climbing day to day, because it kind of makes you the climber that you are going to be. It's, it's what turns you into the climber that you are. You know, there's no other way to, to, there's no other way to learn how to climb other than climbing uh, or listening to this podcast. And uh, so let's first do the ergonomics, awkwardness. And, and I'm always struck by Jamie Emerson's comment, uh, or maybe he, uh, maybe he took this from somewhere. This, there's no awkward moves there. There's only awkward climbing climbers. And I think this is more in the context of outdoors for him, but also Jamie was an incredible setter who set world cups and nationals. And just, uh, I don't know. I don't have a really hard and fast line here other than I don't like seeing people get hurt at the gym. Uh, and I, so, you know, ergonomics is, is something that's important, but also, you know, you want to expose yourself to different kinds of movements. So you can't, you know, sometimes there should be a gasto clean, you, you know, you just, I know totally. it's not always fun and easy, but it, it can be important. So yeah. What, what's your thought on ergonomics yeah. and how that relates to good setting or bad setting? Yeah. And I'll try to keep this quick. Cause I know you have to wrap up, but, um, I do have a hard kind of line answer on this. Uh, and I kind of said it before 
I think all things should be consistently good unless they're intentionally different, right? So in my opinion, ergonomics are just like good because they're fun. Like who who doesn't like grabbing ergonomic holds? But sometimes I, I had this problem as a route setter. I went way too ergonomic. And sometimes too ergonomic can make your climbs soft, like just straight up soft, right? And you're trying to make a certain thing. And you're like, dude, these holds are just so comfy. Like it's way too easy to kind of go on these things. And so you can kind of fix your route by putting a hold or a type of movement that is then a little bit awkward or then a little bit like, intentionally awkward um, because you want to balance your route a little bit. And so basically my, my, my quick answer to that is everything should be ergonomic for the most part. Everything should be comfortable and everything should be good. It could be hard and challenging, but comfortable and ergonomic until it's intentionally not. And I think just that we just shouldn't overdo it in gyms. Like, you should kind of know the difference between the boulder that's like, I don't know if that's the one that has that kind of like weird hold. For example, for me, I really hate like underclings that are above my head. I really hate that stuff, but there's a time and a place. I really hate like real rock type textured plastic holds because they end up not feeling as good as real rock and they're really sharp and like kind of weird sometimes, but there's a time and a place for that too. I kind of hate like specific types of footholds, but there's a time and a place for everything. See, there's, I, I, I have personal subjective opinions about specific types of moves and holds, but there's always a time and a place for those as well. You know, and I think that when we just overdo it or don't think about it, that's when I start to kind of like hate it. And I can just tell the difference between forerun roots and not forerun roots. Routes that have been forerun and routes that have not been forerun well and forerunning. And this is every route setting team has gone through this process or good route setting teams have gone through this process where they invite more time in their forerunning process. It's just a new thing that's happened over time is, you know, as time goes on, you realize like, dude, if we just had 30 more minutes to forerun all these boulders, we would have been able to fix them. You know, and route setters know that. And so we, we at Planet Granite, we, we included like an hour more of forerunning time, an hour more of climbing on our roots and boulders so that we could fix them. And, and then we still wanted more time, right? So that's, that's like the big thing is you can just kind of tell when these things aren't thought out. You can just kind of tell when they're not intentional. Yeah. I don't have a ton to add to that. I, I I've said this before where my experience in setting was still, st still relatively little. I, I was not an expert setter by any stretch of the imagination, but I think I was able to cross into that good category. And so for me, when you're climbing on good routes, they just shouldn't feel tweaky or awkward for the vast majority of people. And, you know, again, when you're getting into this great stuff uh, or th this great category and you're really experimenting with moves and teaching people something beautiful and maybe it feels awkward until you do it right, like that's great. I just, I think just the, the bare minimum standard that I kind of held myself to was just kind of not making it feel dangerous or bad. You know, I, I just Me think too. that's, that's, that, you know, that's just, let's have all gyms do that. Uh, that doesn't mean you yeah. shouldn't, you can't do awkward moves. Exactly. When I wanted to highlight a section, you know, like a highlight a section of difficult rock climbing or like awkward rock climbing, that's when I would, you know, set something like that, but it shouldn't be there all the time. But yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. Last, yeah. the the next thing was going to be, um, what do you basically, do? What yeah, do you do, do if you're in a place bad with setting. bad setting? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll try to cram this in a couple of minutes, but yeah, uh, cause you. this is a complex answer, right? It's, it's a complex answer. And basically the answer that I have is maybe we should start opening up conversations with route setters. Uh, this is a, a big one. I know this is not the answer that Josh was kind of expecting me to say, I'm sure. But I think that this social <laughs> Tim, aspect, Tim, I literally uh, yeah. wrote, give feedback to the setters. No, ha ha. Oh, that's no, what, <laughs> that's what my, that's what my notes were. Uh, cause, cause okay, I just, well, let me, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll let me explain my take on this. Yeah. 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 Let me, let me explain my take on this. Um, 
it, it is common experiences that members will have their experience on climbing and whether it's their operation or whether it is bad setting, they're going to have a negative experience some of the time, right? And when there's a negative experience, it, it's just natural for members to go up and be like, hey, what the hell? Like route setters, you know, we probably run into a route setter and be like, dude, what's going on? Like these reads are horrible or whatever. And they just say that, right? And they don't have, even open up the ability to say that it might be my fault. It might be my fault as a climber, you know, but it might be your fault as a setter, right? That's conversation doesn't happen that often. So the best approach is to go up to a route setter and say, hey, I'm struggling on this climb. I am struggling on this climb. It's really hard for me to say like, what's, so what did you intend for me to to do? And if they aren't able to explain that really well, then maybe it's the quality is low, right? And you can, everyone has pride. Like everybody, every human has, has a level of pride and route setters certainly do, right? And so route setters, you just got to be careful with that pride. Like don't poke them, right? Because it's a, it's still their product. And so just, you can bring up a conversation where it's like, I'm struggling and this is difficult. It's not clear to me. And you might, you might even say like, Oh, I tried that or whatever. And like, I still can't find it. You know, it's just like, it's kind of weird, you know? And it's like, just walk away. It's, it's okay. You don't have, you don't have to find a solution there. You don't have to find an answer, but if they hear that and it's like, Oh man, that person thought that this was kind of weird, like on this thing, but maybe it's not a, so much of an attack on, on them. It's just feedback that they were given. You know, if emotion is gone from this, from either side, it will be a better conversation. The fact is, is that most conversations that I hear about route setting, whether it's from a member or from a route setter or vice versa, there's emotion behind either side where a climber is un- unhappy or a route setter is defensive. And when emotion doesn't exist, there's really good conversations that happen about the quality of route setting. And wh- that's that's the, the only thing I wanted to say about the the, the kind of co- co- the communication back and forth is take emotion out of it just provide your experience and just share your experience. And then the route setter can then look back into their job and then fix it. Yeah. I, um, I like what you're saying. I would caution people from giving feedback to setters because I just have a hunch it's going to go poorly. I, I just, the reality is you know, maybe <laughs> offer to help forerun. Uh, but I, I just, I would be careful there. E- even if you're right, somehow I think it's going to backfire on you and please do not tell them that Tim and Josh said to, uh, give you shit. Um, okay. For me really quick, uh, what to do if you're in a place with bad setting other than maybe give feedback to the setters is when you notice that there should be that, that you're naturally gravitating towards a body position and that's not where the feet are supporting it or where the next move is just take note and understand that body position and understand why you're you know feeling that way and just recognize that and and doesn't mean don't do the route it's just you need to under it gives you an opportunity to understand why moves work the way they are or why moves work the way they do look for that push foot that's not there just make a mental note and just say okay i'm doing this because this is a side pull i'm looking for a push foot they don't have it they should have it but i understand what's going on here and then you say okay there's no push foot is there a heel hook on the other side to give me opposition on side pull? No. Okay, but I understand why my body is looking for that. So just if you if if you can't get them to replicate that teaching process, teach yourself. Uh, and on that note, yeah, make up problems. Uh, this is really fun to do, and you should do. It's super fun to do with friends. I'm not a big fan of add on or horse or any of that personally. I, I like this thing where I find a hold that I like. I think is cool. And then either I look for a move that I can do off of there or look for a move that I can do to that hold and just build the boulder around that. And I would encourage people to look for similar types of holds from the same set or company or same color 
gives you a little more constraint that helps your creativity. And if you're making up problems, uh, start out by giving yourself two feet for the move. Just, just learn how to give yourself two feet and make them the best they can be or not, not the best and the biggest, just make that move smooth and comfortable. And then understand what happens when you take one foot away, understand what happens when you make it quote unquote awkward or don't put any feet on, just know what would be ideal and work your way into the harder bits. Uh, and Oh yeah. Oh, I have one pet peeve before we go, man. This is just, I really got to go to, but I have one pet peeve that just for all setters out there. And this is again, a hint for bad setting that I totally blanked on until now. I hate when you grab a good hold, move off of it, grab a bad hold. And then however the climb is set up, the way the beta tells you is to let go of the good hold and keep the bad hold and good setting encourages you to let go of the hold before. Like it feels natural to move through the movement instead of like you just, you all know what I'm talking about, where you get to a move and you just grab that next hold and it just feels awful. And everything is telling your body that you want to keep holding the good hold, but somehow because of the later sequence, it forces you to let go of the good hold and just don't do that. I I hate that. That happens with harder climbing. I hope, yeah, again, I, I hope this gives everyone eyes to better appreciate what they're doing when they're out there climbing on plastic and, and enjoy it that next level deeper and say, thank you to your route setter. Maybe, maybe just even say thank you instead of getting them feedback. That's because even if they're doing a crappy job, at least they're doing it. That's (laughs) how you, that's how you give feedback is you say, thank you first. And then you give your feedback. Uh, that's the last thing I'm going to say. I have too many thoughts on route setting and how to maybe approach bad route setting or how to approach, you know, from a route setter's perspective, how to make it better. Um, but love you, Josh. Uh, hope everybody enjoyed and learned some things, but, uh, see you later. Take care, everyone. Enjoy that gym. I'm, I'm back at it too. And I'm just loving it. Like we said, when it's good, it's really good. And when it's bad, we're still climbing with our friends. Good times. Take care. Peace. Too. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about Test Piece Climbing, you can check us out at testpiececlimbing.com and even book a session with one of our coaches. 